Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? This is a uh, wonderful episode, a Forbes episode, Friends of Rob Bell with David Vanderveen, just an incredible friend of mine, an incredible friend of Rob's, one of the most interesting, thoughtful, and unique people I've ever known in my entire life. So this is a great, great episode. Let's get to it as quickly as possible here. Tour date's coming up. Chicago, November 7th and 8th. I'll be doing a live podcast on the late show on that Friday, which is going to be great. Uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas on November 21st. That's at the University of Arkansas. Boston on Saturday, November 29th at the Paradise. Iowa City at University of Iowa on December 5th. December 11th through 13th, I'll be in Bloomington, Indiana at the Comedy Attic. Uh, January 29th through the 31st, I'll be in Irvine, California at the Irvine Improv. February 6th and the 7th, I'll be in San Diego. We had to reschedule that, but I will be at San Diego, the American Comedy Company for four shows. And February 20th through the 22nd, I'll be in D.C., for the DC Improv. Uh, let's get into this amazing episode. Like I said, I hope you enjoy it. Our sponsor is Dollar Shave Club. And I ask you this. Is there anything worse than buying razors? You got to remember that you need them in the first place and you got to sit in traffic to the store. You got to find the plastic fortress that's locked that they keep them in. So you got to find the one guy with the key. He's in the back in the break room texting his girlfriend. And then after you get the privilege of opening it, you get them. And what are they? 25? 25 bucks? Well, I'm never doing it again. I joined DollarShaveClub.com, and for a few bucks a month, DollarShaveClub.com delivers great razors right to my door. DollarShaveClub.com is so much smarter than going to the store. Their plans start at just three bucks a month, and you only sign up once. It takes less than two minutes, and you just sit back and blades arrive like clockwork. Shave with a new blade every week. Now you can. No membership fee, no commitment, and they have a money-back guarantee, so you got nothing to lose by trying them out. So stop trudging to the store for overpriced razors and do what I did. Join DollarShaveClub.com slash weird. Support the show, get some razors. DollarShaveClub.com slash weird. Enjoy it, everybody. Get into it. David Vanderveen, The Vandies. Yes. <laughs> Are you recording? I just like, you know, those, these first moments. Yeah, no. You gotta get them. This is the guest seat. If this you is don't the want. guest seat. Do you, do you want drinks or not? Yeah, crack them out, man. Aristotle, uh, would you like a drink? David is the... What is the word? What are you? No. <laughs> Not enigma. You're, you're the creator of excess energy drinks? I am. Do you want to try the new mango? I'll try a new mango. Yours is the only... Oh. Mango or you want grapefruit? Ooh. Everybody wants mango. I know. It's the new thing. I, I literally just got my first... This is a thank you, man. Yeah, man. Don't go anywhere without a gift. That's what I say. I bring many gifts. You do bring a gift. You are a gift. I'm, a gift I'm gonna start. And Lord Lover. You are a Lord Lover. You love a Lord yeah. that a lot of people haven't side. haven't met yet. Can I get a pen, Stutz? Please. Oh, this is this one's plugged into something already. Thanks, friend. Um. Oh, sit. Would you mind sitting there? No, That's worry. the real experience. See, I wanted you to come to the studio and get the real experience. I feel like I've got the real thing now. <laughs> yeah, you like can wear listen. these if you want. I like, I like listening. I like to watch. Watch, listen, learn. 
<laughs> I like to watch people have sex. You know, well, don't we all? You know, in um, in Australia, they have this. Th- uh, they want everybody to wear sunscreen, right? So they have this thing. It's called. Sl- Wait, what was it? In Australia. Yeah, but what was they, the? They have this. They want everyone to wear sunscreen. Why? Well, because there's a hole in the ozone layer, right? So over Australia, yeah, and New Zealand, like down there, you get sunburned really badly. Oh no, yeah, that's where it is. Apparently, I yeah. thought that hole just moved around. I'm a real dummy. I was like, there's a hole, but uh, because of the rotation of the Earth, it's in different places at different times. <laughs> well, in New Zealand, it's even worse than Australia, even though it's not hotter. And so, like, cows get cataracts, or sheep, I guess, get cataracts in their eyes and all that stuff. But the uh, so they have this whole campaign to wear sunscreen. It's called slip, slather, slop, which just sounds like crazy yeah. sex. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I think it's actually about sunscreen it's- you put on your kids. <laughs> Put put it on your kids, and yeah. you, know, yeah, you don't they, want they have an orgy. Children, <laughs> the kids have, they, yeah. they have their own kid orgy. Yeah. Never ends well. No. <laughs> oh God! Slip, slather, slop. <laughs> yeah, slip, slip, slather, slop. Do you want some of my drink? Oh, I do. You know, I do, Pete. Anything we'll you make, drinks. anything you See, make. See, you is make good. what is in that? Isn't there aspartame in this? No, God, Pete. Why do you sell those, create these bad rumors? So you can so you can dispel them here on the air. That's what I live to do. Wait, this is called purely green. Yeah, that's, can I try a sip? Yeah, please have some. Does this have a lot of tequila in it? It Just doesn't have any purposes. tequila. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Not before we start. Tell me the thing Couple about shots. sugar. I was quote because I was like, oh, I got to lay off it's sugar. The, it's the new cigarettes. I, I know, but I agree with you. But then I was like, I got to have less alcohol, and you're like, mm. alcohol doesn't have any sugar in it. Say that. So when you're making ethanol, the way you do it <laughs> is, you, right? <laughs> yes. Sugar is eaten by yeast. Yes, and the byproduct is CO2 and ethanol. Alcohol. If you ha- if you, yeah, if you have a dry wine, that means there's zero residual sugar. There's no uh, sugar left in it. Because it fermented longer? Because if it, the, the yeast fermented through the process of eating all the sugar, and then the yeast dies because there's nothing left to eat. And we're adding the yeast. So if yeah. you add less yeast, you'll have a sweeter wine? If you Or if you cool it down. So basically, there's different ways to do it, but basically, if you uh, have re- residual sugar left... Yes. You have to make sure that you get all the yeast out of it or you can have continuous in- fermentation in the bottle. Like when you make champagne, you have a semi-dry fermentation and then you do the second fermentation in the bottle. That's why you get bubbles in the bottle. Okay. So if I'm trying to not eat sugar uh-huh. as much, yeah, I don't have to worry about drinking alcohol. It doesn't become sugar in my body. Do you know what my body does with these things? Well, you know, I'm not an expert, Pete, but it makes me feel pretty good. <laughs> See, that's my concern. <laughs> yeah. I'm concerned with the things that, like, vodka has no sugar. Right. But then I'm concerned that my body... But it does have calories. It has calories. But then I'm also concerned with what my uh, liver is doing with it. And if it's Your awakening... Like, yes, it's like a workout. It's like, you, know, you gotta, if you don't use the liver, you lose it. I think that's, that's true. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Your liver would love a day off. You can't lose it. I just confuse my liver. It's just, if you, you know. don't use it, you confuse it. <laughs> there we go. Slip, yeah. slather, slop is what I say. Yeah. Well, this is David Vanderveen, everybody. I don't normally do this but uh because you're not a famous comedian i you know i did it for science mike a little backstory you and i are dear friends you're friends with rob bell and you're now officially part of the forbes series friends of rob bell series also you mentioned me on the brian green episode i just, yeah. uh, was just you're in my that. life yeah you're in well you interviewed him i did you interviewed brian green and you listened to mine I did. Was there anything that was – I don't mean this to put myself down. Is there anything that you got out of him that I didn't? Because that was one of my favorites. Um, that's a great question. I, I don't know if I did get anything out of him that you didn't. I was I enjoy listening to him. And m- mainly I think what you did with him that was really good is you know, you helped you, – I, I think – you got him to talk about the filters that we all use and the ways that some – you know, for example, 
he talks about the fact that Newtonian physics isn't wrong. It's just not the only way to look at the universe, right? Right. And so <laughs> as we have new models like quantum mechanics or general and special relativity or string theory, it starts to expand our view of truth. And I think that's a really interesting point that I didn't get out of the interview that I did with him that's probably more valuable than the fine detail of string theory. And that's a big, that's a big thing for you. That was one of those things that I was like, we have to cover that. And I'm not yeah. worried about when and where we cover that, but that idea that you are interested in where we get our beliefs – and like what lenses we're looking through everything through. Yeah, and and why I think exclusion is is really kind of a poor principle in terms of seeking truth. You mean saying I I am a, a Latter Day Saint and therefore you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're stupid. <laughs> well, that, that, that would be a fun like faith battle, by the way. Just pick two things we don't know that much about and just make it up and have a huge. <laughs> I, yeah. could, I could represent the Latter Days. I think could you LDS? Decently. You know they LDS. refer to themselves as LDS. I know that's why I didn't say Mormons. Yeah, see? that's a slur that I know. the mafia gave them. Bastards. I know. I know. Can Mike. I say that? On the, how, what's our? We you have can some say motherfucker. Here. Wow. What's your favorite curse? My favorite curse, man. I've got so many. Um. <laughs> See, well, that is, you know, I hate to boil it down to something as stupid as cursing, but you are in that camp. We surf together. Yeah. We paddle together. We do. We're, we're in the water. We're in the ocean together. We get our gills wet together. We Pete. get it wet. Yeah. We get it wet all the time. Yeah. And there's something about the conversations that we have. So here is Rob, and Rob really blew my mind that he's a pastor who's comfortable talking about inclusion and mm-hmm. he's comfortable talking about anything. Sure. Remember when we were in the water, you know, there's no censoring. There's no – it would be an insult right. to censor. It's, but then here comes – sorry. No, go ahead. He goes, you got to meet my friend David Vanderveen because I was surfing with Rob a couple weeks in a row before you came in. And he was like, you're going to love Vandy's. And here comes Vandy's who Wait, even – he called me Vandy's? No, I call you Vandy's. <laughs> yeah, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> Call you Vandy Camp. Yeah, Vandy Camp. It's, yeah. Uh, it's People just, all go David. I go Vandy's. You you brought a new dimension to my being that I didn't know before, and that's uh, that's that's you know it's just very inclusive. I, I am inclusive. I look at the lens that I'm I'm giving you nicknames through. Yeah. But then you you show up and you are one of those guys who you know doesn't fit the mold that I grew so uncomfortable with, which is a spiritually inclined person. Yeah. Who therefore uh, is a is a walking list of things he doesn't do. You right. know what I mean? Including swearing, which is, su- which is such horse shit, but it's one of the most <laughs> external ones. Right. You know what I mean? External right. holiness. Right. Does he smile? Is he nice? Does he grab strangers' asses? You know what I mean? And does he say, motherfuck? It depends how good the strangers' asses look. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're attached to my wife, although she's not a stranger, typically, unless she has a wig on and a cute yeah. outfit. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm not allowed to laugh. I know your wife well. <laughs> Well, she's not in the room, so she can't kick me right now. That's, That's true. A feature. She's elsewhere. Feature. Yeah. She's elsewhere. She could be with you in the room listening to this. Yeah, well, later she will be kicking and me. And then kicking you yeah, in the walls. I'm used to it. You, but, you know, so you're, this, you're, you're an enigma, like we'll be talking about anything, and, and, and you feel like an artist and a creative person and, and a, a surfer, like a, it through and through. But then also you'll say something like, people say they believe in the sovereignty of God, but they don't really. <laughs> right, because they don't behave like it, right? I mean, uh, I was having a conversation on the way up here about uh, a deal we're doing right now. Uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and business yeah, person to earn a living. And, um, you know, we were talking about someone wanted to buy something from us that they felt was strategic, but their proposal was all very tactical. And, you know, I was a philosophy major. I studied political theory. And, you know, for me, I think your experience and your behavior need to marry your words or your words really don't have any meaning. 
And so, you know, I was just saying, hey, look, you've been telling us how strategic this is, but I don't see it in the proposal you're giving us. So mm. why don't we bridge that gap? Because I think that's a really important gap to bridge if we're right. going to make this thing work. You're reminding me of all the advice you gave me when I was running my show. <laughs> Apparently, like, it wasn't I'm- that great. <laughs> 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 I just meant uh, how to like uh, how to let people go and stuff. And and you're yeah. a big, you're such a sweet man. But then you obviously have this entrepreneur gear where you, where you will lay it out on the table, which I find so appealing because you're like, I forget what it was, but it's like you're not meeting my expectations for you and all that sort of stuff. Right. Well, it's, it should be mutual, right? Like I think when you're working with anybody, whether whether you're in a marriage or, or whether you're it's your, you and your kids or whether it's your friend. I mean, there, there should be boundaries and expectations um, that people have of each other. And I think a lot of time what makes relationships last and, and be be healthy is that you know what the other person is expecting of you and vice versa. And right. you know what the boundaries are where you can you know do things and not do things. Um, and where it gets unhealthy and dysfunctional a lot of times when people refuse to talk about those things and then everyone's walking around wondering what the other person wants them to be That's to right. them and vice versa. Right. Um, you know, I, I think a friendship is based on exchanging value at some level and there's a variety of levels. You know, nobody wants to be friends with a taker, right? I mean, that's, that's no fun. I've, I've actually just friend broke up with somebody that I was like, I think it's successful. I'm really hoping they don't text me. But there, it was somebody that I was like, oh, every time we meet, it's something that you'd like. You know, you, you want something. Right. And, and something that's, like, weird. You right. know what I mean? Well, I'm you like... know, Shel Silverstein wrote The Getting Tree before The Giving Tree. It was not a very big seller. <laughs> Give me that coat! <laughs> I'm outside all day! <laughs> Damn Voice, it, you kids! <laughs> voiced by Samuel L. Jackson in the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, kid! Give me that coat! <laughs> that's not a good Samuel L. Jackson. Oh. <laughs> Nobody thinks it is. Oh. <laughs> We'll work on that one, Pete. We'll work on it. We'll shoot it. We'll shoot it. I feel it coming out. That's why my show was canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Samuel L. Jackson skit. I pitched the getting tree. Oh, God. I remember when they announced that Samuel L. Jackson was going to be a Jedi, and nobody knew what kind of Jedi he was going to be, and and that... You know, people started taking the Pulp Fiction lines and applying it to Star Wars. It oh, was, that's fun. It would have been one of the best Star Wars ever. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, Unfortunately, it didn't happen, and they got, you know, him and... Say Force again! <laughs> I dare you! <laughs> Feel the Force, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> Hamburgers! Not, neither of us are doing it well, but that's it sure is fun. Yeah. No, it is. It's good to try. Good to try. Let's talk, because the top of this podcast, we often talk, and I know we have a lot of things going right now, sovereignty and parenting and relationships and friendships and business. Yeah. Were you done with that? Because I do want to ask you about entrepreneurship because you are very interesting in that way. You're like paid to speak and and rally people and advise. And I've been. And actually run a business. And you run a business. (laughs) Right. right. And and I'm the. A real business. That's right. You're not just a guy who goes like, you got to get out there. You're actually. You can do it. (laughs) You're doing it too. You're not a life coach who's also, you know, playing his Xbox 12 hours a day. Right. Although that seems like a lot of fun. I bet that would be great. I mean, you could retire. Oh, yeah. But the idea that uh, we talk about craft at the top, usually comedy. When Rob did it, you know, you talk about uh, you know being a pastor and author or whatever it is. So I was interested in you. You work for Amway, right? Well, I, well, I have my own company, Excess Energy Drinks. Yep. That we partner with Amway. Amway is our just you know they basically distribute them for us. We work really really closely together. I don't work for Amway. I don't represent you work for Amway. Amway. I just. I you are Amway. <laughs> I'm about to get sued. No, I, I look. I love Amway. I built a successful Amway, you know, uh, distributorship long time ago, and uh, we make energy drinks that we sell through them. I've done a lot of other things outside of Amway, 
Um, but I'm, I'm proud of that relationship. I think they're a neat company that's often understood. Right. Off. Often understood. Often understood. Often misunderstood. Misunderstood. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Because they're not a cool company. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's an it's an old company. They've been around for over fifty years. Um, they don't tell. They historically probably haven't told their story as well as they could have. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of that? other people tell their stories for them. Yeah, and um, well, you do, know. do the thing that you do to me. What, what is your like hook line? Because I'm so <laughs> like I'm in sales. You right, understand? Right. Like stand up comedians to a certain extent are selling a joke or a premise or an idea. Sure. And there's different things. I was just talking about this because I was pitching a movie today. Right. I was think I was talking about you. Probably thinking about this podcast. I was talking about how a good salesperson will actually make it enjoyable for the other person. The, we talk about putting a hook in or something right. and making it unpleasant. But when you like engage them in the ways that I've seen you do, it actually becomes mutually beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I mean, like anything, if you know, the great thing about the Amway business, and I'm not here to sell Amway to anybody, I mean, it's... This is not a sponsored episode. Yeah, right, right. It just right. happens to be a person I know. It's just, you know, <laughs> one of the cool things, so one of the, you know, I've done a lot of different things. I've I've done some large startups, large dot-coms, um, uh, you know, I have a very successful business now that we make and sell energy drinks, and one of the things I did early on was I built an Amway business as a distributor. And, and I think the reason that's important is it's kind of like, you know, as a comedian, you have to go into clubs and you build your content kind of your brand a second at a time. Yeah. You build your brand, you know, oh, I see what you're saying. every time you go. But, but there's that element of heavy lifting of the workout that happens when you're in the club, right? You see how people react to what you're saying yeah. and the tone, you deliver it and all those kinds of things. And there's, there's a similar element to someone starting and creating and being successful in the Amway business where basically you don't make money sponsoring people. You know, you make a little bit of money selling products. And ultimately, the way you can really build a large ongoing income stream is by, you know, developing a large network of people that you help support and you work together on. They make the dollars. You make nickels and dimes. You make small royalties, essentially, off each of their businesses. Um, but it's a long-term relationship. And so the idea of selling somebody something or being a good salesman doesn't really work in that business. I think that's mm-hmm. our first fundamental flaw. Really, what you have to be good at is is being brutally honest with people and understanding what people are telling you, even when they're not saying what they're what they're really saying. Um, so, like one of the things I think we had talked that about so, that's so interesting, right there. What you just said, so interesting. Thanks, Pete. I'll be here for at least an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean that last part, is particular. That is one of the burdens of life, right? Is also just like. What is this motherfucker saying? Like, we love stories. Now I'm just saying motherfucker for no reason. <laughs> we love stories about people like Jason Bourne or Sherlock Holmes that understand, oh, they're saying this, but they didn't mean that. They meant this, and then I met that need anyway. Absolutely. And these are these are the silverback gorillas. These are the people at the top of the chain. We love those stories. Right. Keep going. I'm just telling yeah, you I'm so, into so it. I think when we were talking, you had said, you know, how does, it, how does it work? And I said, you know, one of the most successful ways that a distributor learns to engage, I think, or in my experience, was – just being direct with people and saying, hey, you know, like, for example, you'd come in the comic book store, you'd see somebody who's clearly excelling at, you know, managing a comic book store and, and maybe has more potential than what they're currently doing. And you'd say something like, hey, it looks like, you know, here's a couple specific things I see you do, a genuine compliment that I like about you. Yeah. Um, I happen to have a, a business we're expanding. Have you ever met anybody that's been really successful in the Amway business? Yeah. And and the funny thing is, the first reaction you'll all, almost always get from somebody who knows what Amway is, you know, the uh, people, I, I'm getting older now. When I first started, I was in my 20s. Now people who are in their 20s, most of them haven't even heard of Amway because right. it's been off the radar for a while. Um, but people will, you know, they'll say, oh, my God, my grandmother, she lost her shirt and blah, blah, blah. And, and what 
what you learn pretty quickly is that arguing gets you nowhere fast. It just puts up bigger and bigger defenses on both sides. Right. And agreement is where you can actually have a conversation. And so what we had to learn, you know, what I learned to do pretty quickly was to say, hey, look, uh, you think that's bad. You know, they'd tell me their sad story. And so then I would have a, what we would say a, a sad story in my own hip pocket that I would pull out. And I would say something simply like, you think that's bad? Let me tell you about my friend. His uncle invited everybody over. He wouldn't tell him what it was. They sat down. He had a suit and tie on and a whiteboard and showed him an Amway business. Obviously created some bad blood there. Um, they all thought he was sick and had cancer. I mean, it was just awful, right? Awful. We thought this was an intervention. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, of course, look, you, they've got millions of distributors around the world. You're going to have some wing nuts. You're going to have people who do <laughs> awkward nuts. things, right? And, yeah. and I so think. So then you tell them a worse story. So, so I tell them a worse story and I say, look, I, I get it. There's. People that do silly stuff with anything, especially a business they feel uncomfortable with. But that really wasn't my question. Right. So I've agreed with you. I, I understand that this can happen. I'm not arguing with you about it. I'm just wondering if you've ever met anybody who actually has been successful because right. a lot of people have. And, um, and, that's, and then, then you get into a real conversation and right. because I think the defenses are down. You realize you're speaking honestly. It's not just an argument. You're agreeing about the basic premise. And then you can talk. It's like picking up a person for a date. Yeah. There's an exchange. Everybody that knows that listens to this podcast, I think everything is sex. It always ends up to sex, but it's an exchange of energy, and you're getting you're getting blocked, and you're like, no, merge with this, right? Even if it's just a thought. I don't mean new agey energy necessarily. I just mean like, will you join this or not? And unfortunately, as you're talking, I can I bet I, some people listening are like, oh no, what if what he's selling is, is horseshit? <laughs> right, right. And what if you are just a snake oil salesman? And and you know there there have been abuses in that business, like any business, like I pyramid mean, scheme stuff. Well, there's there's you know there are people who try and take advantage of, group, of a group of people. You know, yeah. you get a group of people in the room, there's going to be a bad one. There's doctors who take advantage of people. There's lawyers who take advantage of people. There's yeah. comedians who take advantage of people. I know I, I know you're just <laughs> right? throwing us in, but there are of course I know liars. I know people that say i'm getting ready for letterman i need to do your show and they'll bump someone from the show so you can get on it that person's not doing letterman that's a lie <laughs> right they lied right or they they lie about uh managers will lie about like oh i'll book louis ck knowing he's unavailable and then the week of the show i'll go sorry louis had to cancel but i had this other client you know there's shitty stuff happening there's sure. a lot of snakes in show business good job pete you figured it out <laughs> But but I think you know that's just human beings, right? I don't know that one group of one industry has more or, or less than another. I think it's important. Like if somebody says, "Well, I didn't want to get in show business because I heard there were a lot of bad people in it." Well, there's bad people everywhere. There's good right. people everywhere. Right. Um, and it's it's all about finding the good ones and figuring out if if it's the thing that you want to do or not. Um, but ultimately, I think what was really kind of enlightening for me once you get through some of those basics was the fact that you know you would you would literally lay it out for people. This company's been around for 50 years. It does over $11 billion a year. It's probably going to be fine next year that's with or without you. That's a lot of pyramids. That's a lot of... That's a lot, yeah. <laughs> and, I'm kidding. Yeah, 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 no. That's a lot of products or whatever it is. No, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot of people moving a lot of volume, and they pay out a lot of money to people to do that. Right. Um, more than any other business right. you know, on, on the planet, quite frankly, or as far as I know. Um, and so what, what I think is, is ultimately valuable is, is people say, well, people come up with all these reasons to say no, which is fine. That's their prerogative. But I think 
what they're really saying, and most of the time, isn't that the business doesn't work, which is what they want to argue about, or they'll find something else that they read online they want to argue about. Really, what most of them are saying is, I don't think I can do this. Mm. But they'll never say that because most people don't have you know the self-image to, to handle that. And so they'll right. come up with other reasons. Because if we both knew that if we walked out of here and the next 10 people you talk to were going to get in an Amway business with you and you're going to you know start generating hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, everybody would do it. Right. It's just not simple. It's not easy. It takes right. effort like anything. And, and I think most people are afraid of what they're going to have to do, how it's going to work. And so it's, it's basically it's that learning to be honest with yourself and learning to read between the lines with other people to understand what they're saying, which is what's so fundamentally important. It also reminds me of – are you a Glengarry Glen Ross fan? I love, I love Glengarry Glen Ross. one of my absolute favorite yeah, movies. Absolutely. And, and Richard Roma goes, uh, what is this? It's a piece of land. Bullshit. Uh, it's an opportunity to what? To make money, right. perhaps. To lose money, perhaps. To indulge and learn about ourselves, perhaps. So he's – it sounds to me like – because, again, I'm just addressing yeah, yeah. the uh, hallucinated uh, problem I'm, I'm, that maybe people hearing this are having is what, what if what you're selling is too good to be true? Right. It sounds to me like you're saying – no, it, it's it's hard work and it's and it's, it's real work like anything else. Right. But it's and I think the you know what it is is it's an it's a low risk opportunity for people who want to try something to do something on their own. If, if you wanted to get started as an entrepreneur, it's it's a lot simpler and easier than actually starting your own business from scratch and trying to make something. And or that's what something. you did. So here, yeah. how did you? I think I just it's so far from me. It's like a cobbler or something. Yeah. You do something tangible. Yeah. I deal in the ethereal. You know what I mean? It's like I guarantee <laughs> I can make a room laugh at 8 o'clock on Thursday. See you then. <laughs> and you right. won't see me before or after, but I poof in like a leprechaun and go, my dick's so weird. And then I leave <laughs> and you have to pay me. You <laughs> you made this that you handed to me and it's uh, purportedly mango flavored. It and is. I've had how, how, t- Take me into that a little bit. You had an idea? Yeah, well... Is it your idea? Yeah, I mean, it was, I was part of the team that developed the idea. Yeah. I, I think, you know, um, it's a long story how I got there, but, you know, in the late 90s, so I had done some startups in the late 90s that we lived in the bay area my wife and kids and i and uh i i ended up um as the head of sales and marketing of a new but large.com so i i helped these guys start a uh internet company in the late 90s that they called dot coms for people under 20 that don't remember this um <laughs> but and, and we raised you know i think we raised 30 million dollars in our first round another 30 in our second round so we were raising you know raised a lot of money we had a business where we were managing servers inside co-location facilities so we were managing computers inside internet data centers pretty boring business it's a plumbing business for the internet and that was during this period when you know there were puppets selling pet food online and all these kinds of things going on right. it's just kind of crazy time so we'd go to a thing like comdex in vegas and you needed to dress your business up to make it sexy so people wanted to come in and see you. And when you say plumbing, you mean like data moving around in the pipes of the internet? Literally like data center, like putting computers and you know, servers in data centers, managing those servers. Right. And the, it's a funny story. The guys that, um, that I had met, I was uh, – through a series of acquisitions, had lar- ended up at a large uh, software company, Computer Associates. And a couple of guys that I had met uh, in that – in my work in the Bay Area – had figured out that the, all the most of the porn was being host, homed at, at AboveNet, and most of it was being accessed by Hotmail users at Exodus, two different co-location facilities, two different data centers. Mm. And so they literally took a big piece of internet plumbing, an OC3, which is like it's a big pipeline. I have OC3. For, for ben, do you really? Yeah. <laughs> That's OCD. Oh. But the, um, yeah, no. I have to get it wrong, otherwise my family dies. <laughs> it's an OCD joke. So the... <laughs> so the uh, so anyway, so you know, 
what what we did is we got out of the porn business because you can't raise money for that, and we started connecting different data centers with our own pipe. And as soon as a data center figured out what you were doing, they wouldn't let anybody else do it. So we had a way to increase uptime and make it uh, for uh, porn and faster. Well, it starts most great technology around um, delivering video and things is like made that for porn. is made for porn because that's where the money is. And then people are like, "How do I optimize this for something where I could actually raise money and, and be you know?" It's ma- so funny. Can yeah. I throw something at you yes. that I know you'll enjoy, given yes. our, our Lord loving tendencies? Yes. Uh, pornography in hotels like skyrockets whenever there's like a youth pastor conference. Or oh my something god! Like well, you hotel. can imagine it's poor, poor, poor bastards are uh, of course without porn for most of their lives. <laughs> See, this goes into the enigma that's David Vanderbeek. I would be sitting in little, you know, our little church in when my uh, with my college roommate um, who got me to go there, and we'd be sitting there, and there was a pastor. They had five pastors, probably less than two hundred people that went there. Very confusing church, and uh, this one guy, he would when he would get up, he would start talking about the problem of porn. And I would lean over. I go, "It's not that bad. It's easy now. I mean, it used to be tough. You'd have to hide the magazine. You know, the magazine sticks the together. All those things. These days, it's simple, man. You just go online, just type big boobs, and you get all kinds of great stuff." <laughs> Well, you know, see that actually, we'll get to the spiritual stuff, but I would, I'd prefer it if it comes in when it comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that I see in you is there's this Oscar Wilde quote that I love where he says, the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. Yeah. But here's the way that I approached porn as a spiritual <laughs> youth was with my pants off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no was, uh, was I made it into this huge thing and then my brain really – uh, liked that that I yeah. turned it into a forbidden thing and and the ritual of it and the problem of it and yeah. I, I've seen that really blow up in the in the Christian circle and I really do think there was something to disempower it which is what I see you doing as much as you joke about it or whatever it is uh, you're just kind of like yeah it's not that big of a deal but that Vanderveen sheen yeah. the, it's like water off a duck's back and it doesn't plague you down as opposed to going Satan's in that and he's gonna grab you by the dick yeah which could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a gr- he's got a mean grip. Yeah, he's, he's got a, a mean grip, but it's warm in a way yeah, that you'd expect him. Right. Yeah, and hopefully yeah. well lubed. But the, I think you know the thing that for me, I like you know I posted you know Rob Bell has a new book called The Zimzum yep. of Marriage or whatever, and you know great book by the I way. I loved it. And and I you know I posted something, and this guy I went to college with immediately posts something about how it's you know Zimzum is from. The Kabbalah, which is based in the occult. And, and I was just like, I deleted the comic because I like to edit my page. And I just, you know, I was just going, why do you give something like the occult that much power? Or why right. do you give pornography that much power? Or right. why do you give drugs or alcohol that much power? Yes, they exist. Yes, I think some of those things exist. Probably not the occult so much, but for our enjoyment and, and our joy in life. But don't give them more power than they deserve. Don't become obsessed with them. But that's what I see. There's a casualty. You're a surfer, and I see you surfing on reality. And I don't mean to butter your bread too much, but there's there's a gravity. <laughs> butter away, Pete. Butter away. <laughs> I'll Whoa. Butter, I'll butter, Whoa. What are you doing under the table, I'll Pete? butter the, de- yeah. the devil's hand before he grabs your dick. <laughs> right. Is the idea that like when we uh, travel lightly – yeah. It's it's harder to get bogged down by those things. I'm not saying pornography. I think pornography addiction is just as real. It's as a real it, problem. Yeah. As it could be uh, alcoholism or cocaine addiction or sugar addiction, going back to what we were saying sure. at the beginning. You can get addicted to anything. Sure. But there is something mental going on. And I, and I experienced it where I was like, pornography is the worst thing I do. Don't do it. And then when I was just like, no, Rob and I talked about this. You can, right? You can spend your sexual energy in that way. Right. Is there a better way? 
I would argue yes. When you're with, when I'm with my girlfriend, and we use that same baby batter. Outside, outside of marriage, Pete. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well right, outside right, of marriage. Well outside of marriage, <laughs> right in sin. But when we use it to do something beautiful, which is making love, yeah. that's better. That actually brings me to my theory of sin. I actually don't think sin is necessarily a, a, a list of do this and don't do this, and I'm going to check this because you smoked a cigarette, and I'm going to check this because you helped a homeless person. Right. I think sin is just nowadays is just a word that means the thing that's impeding your evolution, your right. growth into the shape and the form that you were supposed to have. Sure. Not, oh, I jerked off to porn. <laughs> I did a bad thing. Right. I jerked off to porn. And the more I, I live, the more I kind of realize that the things that we're told not to do really are just kind of generalizations, meaning we've seen a lot of people go down that path and it fucked them up from growing, and I don't mean into some angelic Joel Osteen super pastor, right. into the person that is on your DNA that right. you, your highest self is intended to be. And I say that on stage. I say even if you love pornography, I had a great run. And don't get me wrong. I still look at it occasionally. But it's like – Well, you, you want to see what's happening. I mean there's progressions and everything. Stay, yeah. I want to stay relevant. Let's stay current. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, there's devil hand job stuff now. (laughs) But that idea that – I forgot what I was saying. It doesn't matter. But you see what I'm saying. It's like I just don't want to get blocked. Blocked. Yeah. Well, it's it's all about the fullness of the person. I think that's where you're going with it, right? And I think, you know, not – to do a little philosophy, you know, in the Western world, we think of good and evil um, maybe differently than the East. And I think for for good reason as it relates to this, you know, we see – from the Judeo-Christian ethic, we see this idea that God created everything good in its fullness, right? And evil is the negation of that. Right. And so I think what the, the, the proper way to think about sin or evil um, is that it's destroying what could be the best thing ever. That's right. Rather than this positive entity that exists out there waiting to attack us. And so when I say, you know, I don't want to give it more power than it deserves, yes, it's, you know, pornography, I think, does degrade sexuality in a lot of ways, um, a lot of unhealthy ways. Yes, I think that cocaine can degrade your energy in a lot of ways, even yeah. though it feels really good when you do it. Right. So, so I've heard. <laughs> but the- <laughs> It can make it harder to, to create uh, good feelings organically. Well, right. And then you start to have to have that thing, whether it's pornography or cocaine or whatever, you start to have that thing to kind of fill the vacuum that you keep digging deeper and deeper every time you use that thing, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what, if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is, you know, there's a, there is a, a, an ultimate Pete Holmes that we all want to be. That's right. <laughs> the higher self. Yeah. The, and it's, it, there's a progression that, we're, that we're, we all move through, hopefully. We, we, unless we get stuck. Unless and we get so stuck. so many people get stuck. And I think that's what ultimately, to your point, what sin is, is it's, it's holding us back. The you know, thing that's sticking you. Like, well, well <laughs> that's not always especially with pornography. Just a lot of fun. If you let it dry on your belly, oh, David, <laughs> David. But you know, Luther said something really similar to Oscar Wilde. He said, "Sandros." Uh, well, yes, or Martin Luther King. <laughs> a lot of Luther. A lot of Luthers. But you mean uh, Luther as in Lutheran? Yeah, the original Luther. Um, you know, Lex Luther. No, <laughs> he said, "I will crush you, <laughs> We're Superman." In a comic book shop. So. <laughs> I will crush you. Um, yeah, but you know, Luther, Martin Luther said that um, you know. Uh, sin boldly lest the devil tempt you beyond what you are able and the way that I interpret that is sin boldly lest the devil tempt you beyond what you are able meaning don't give the sin so much power that it it, it controls you yes In, instead just you know what if, if it's that big of a deal 
go f- I, I'm pretty sure he said, and I paraphrase, go fucking do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> get over it. It's like Oscar Wilde. Yeah, get over Yield it. Yield to it. Yeah, and then move, move, move past it. Realize it's not everything it was cracked up to be. It's probably not as good as everybody told you. Right. There's some dark sides to all this because stuff. Because when you add the... But get past it. The, uh, the, what, the faux pas of it. Right. When you add the ritual... I'm talking about me, 22-year-old me, I'm married, right. and I feel really bad about looking at pornography. Right. But why? Because I think I'm cheating on my wife. Because, you know, Christ is talking about, like, looking at a woman lustfully is the same as adultery. So I'm like, I'm an adulterer. <laughs> and then, like, the cleaning up... And I don't just mean my massive, impressive load. I mean, like, <laughs> deleting the, the history, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and then typing in a few things so the history isn't just blank. Uh, and even showering or something, this sort of cleansing, ritualistic, it wouldn't have been there if I just let pornography be what it was, which is images of people fucking. I agree. You can go back a little further and say it is degrading women. It's, it's to, I think, a lesser extent degrading men. It's degrading sexuality as a whole. Right. I agree. It's supporting, uh, you know, some people say it's supporting a, a sex sexual trade, slavery. Sexual yeah. slavery and all that. I understand. But if we just can look at it in your tiny world, in, on that Tuesday afternoon right. where your appointment got canceled and you draw the blinds. Right. If you can just look at it as... You draw the blinds? Yeah, Don't you, know. you want your neighbors to maybe get excited? I mean, if I'm so glad that doesn't do it for me. Like, <laughs> Mr. Wilson! <laughs> then I come. It's the idea that if you can just think of it as that's an image of people fucking and I am a mammal and I'm stupid yeah. and my brain thinks I'm the guy. It's the, the lizard brain. The yeah. lizard brain gets aroused and then I jerk off and then what was I after? Anxiety reduction? Was I at odds with my sexuality? Do I not like feeling horny? Why don't you like feeling... You can really yeah. explore it but don't you can also just let pornography be what it is, right? And then once it is, I think what you're saying, what Martin Luther is saying, you can kind of take it away, and hopefully you lo- you lose interest in it. I mean, you know, it's it's a natural. I think it's normal for young boys, as an example, to be kind of interested in pornography because it's a forbidden fruit and because it's something that's kind of a curious secret they don't know that much about. And, right. And I think it's you know I don't certainly would never buy my boys pornography but i wouldn't also freak out if i found it in their room god knows my mother found plenty of my own so it's you know i think it's it's natural to be interested in it i think it's also natural to move past it and yeah yeah. and if people can't i think that's when you know maybe find someone who can give you a little help with that absolutely and and i would i actually but you see there's something about like the human brain that if we go like this can of, of of your drink here is evil. You know what I mean? Like if we just keep conditioning ourselves and having someone else telling you it's evil, it's evil, it's evil, it's evil. Like I w- speaking of the occult, I did yeah. a show at a Masonic Lodge and the guy had like a, a burning a burnt hundred dollar bill. Yeah. It clearly been part of some ritual. Yeah. And he was and he was like, here, take it. Like kind of like a you know like an like an omen he wants to hand you or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't take it. Why? Because I can very quickly go, that's an evil dollar bill and I don't need it. I'm not saying Pete at his highest self is like thinking clearly in that moment. Right. But like I'm just saying it's easy to assign value to things. And we're doing that all the time. And, and if you can take away some of the value, you're giving a thing and see it as it. I think we've made our point. Yeah. So did you join the – are you part of the Illuminati yet? I'm or? in now. Yeah, good, good. Your career should take off now. I, well, in ways that you wouldn't understand. I, well, in dimensions that you can't see or perceive. There's assumptions there. I want to. There are some assumptions there. Who knows what? You don't know where I am in that that food chain. Shake my hand. (laughs) (laughs) You you haven't had that one yet, have you? No, I haven't. Yeah, I have to just wait. Just wait till you get there. I have to prostrate myself real quick. (laughs) Well, it's funny that goes back to something I really love talking to you about, which is parenting. 
I t- talk about the the mom and the rules here and the dad's kind of goofy role and and yeah. the sovereignty of God thing because I see <laughs> you being so anxious, so fearless in general, and then you bring in children, which is enough to make anybody shit the bed. And you're clearly a great dad. It's not like I think <laughs> you're like some deadbeat, right. but you like you you live in such a way that you don't assign fear to your children. And and I remember asking you about that. Like even you're you're like, look, maybe they'll drink, maybe they'll they'll smoke a little pot or something. Yeah. And you weren't the traditional Lord loving man that would be like, God forbid, and I'm going to pray oil over them so they don't. Yeah, I mean, think about the think, chronic. Yeah. Well, you can't <laughs> stop everything, but you know, I think the um, especially when they got it from you. Well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, <laughs> can neither confirm nor deny those rumors, <laughs> but the um, you know the the thing that um, I, I guess you know with with all of this, whether it's your business, whether it's any aspect of your life, and I think this is where people say no more than anything. Um, it's all about fear of failure, right? Um, it's it's also I, I think you see it just in in ideas like there's people who are so afraid of doubt, and it's really because they've never learned to love mystery, mm. right? And oh, I, fucking a. <laughs> You're right. We're all right? playing with scared money. And I think if we, you know, to the point of the sovereignty of God, I was raised a Calvinist. Um, you know, people have different versions of that. I, we were raised in a Dutch Calvinist model, which basically, if you think about Amsterdam or New Amsterdam, which is New York today, the whole concept of tolerance, of knowing what I believe and being comfortable enough with that to let anybody else believe whatever else they want to believe. Um, you know, it's the difference between being fussy and being particular. I, uh, fussy is knowing what you like and trying to make everyone else like it, being particular just saying well i like cheeseburgers and you may not right um and that that's how calvinism found you well and so i I think when you really believe in something like the sovereignty of god meaning god you know has some control of of things or maybe has some plan for things not that god plans evil i think evil is an aberration of his plan personally but the you know this idea that i don't have to do it all myself that i can be as jack he you know father jack the irish sage u2's kind of spiritual leader Mm -hmm. he says you know i like to be lazy in God's sovereignty, meaning, you know, if you really do believe in this big God that's, that's uh, you know, that kind of created the universe and is a, is a part of it, he probably doesn't need you that much. I mean, <laughs> you're lucky when you get to participate in his will, but he doesn't need you to make it happen. You mm. know, otherwise your God's probably a little too small. And so, um, you know, for me, I, I think, you know, whether it's surfing or whether it's raising my kids or starting a business or any of those things, for, for me, it's it's mostly about trying to help my kids get over the fear of failure, not worrying so much about if they did something right or wrong, but are they moving in a direction that makes sense? Mm. Um, And being brutally honest, you know, I mean, you talk about addiction, you know, the first foundation of addiction, I mean, there's obviously recognizing that there's something bigger than you in the universe, but it's a lot of it's just brutal honesty. Here's what I did. Mm -hmm. And and it wasn't great all the time. And that's how you get better. you know, we we used to say, uh, you know, in the Dutch Christian reform tradition, there was a lot of shame and guilt. You know, we'd say there's nothing you can't do so badly that guilt won't make a little bit worse. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, when you can move past shame and guilt, you really stop worrying about what other people think about what you're doing or if you said it just right or if you if you executed things and you start living fairly authentically. And I think that's attractive to people. Oh, my God. Right? Because even if it's not, (laughs) even if you're not doing the perfect thing all the time or you're not always everyone's favorite cup of tea or best flavor, people still respect the fact that you're living your best self out there or at least trying things and you're figuring out what isn't your best self and correcting. And I think ultimately, 
you know, for as long as we're on this planet, that's kind of what we're here for. And um, and with my kids, I, I look at the way I kind of view the universe. I think, you know, we're, I hate to use some of these terms because they're so beat up. But, you know, I kind of feel like we're made uh, in the image of uh, whoever, whoever created the universe, whatever her name is. And that, you know, when, when we have kids, we didn't get kids to make into our image. We, got, we, we were gifted with kids to help them find their fullest self. Yeah. And so my job isn't to try and to dictate to them what they should believe or what they shouldn't believe. It's to help them work through that process and to wrestle with it. You know, my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when uh, Jacob wrestled with God, at the, so they say, at the, at the Jabbok River. And, um, you know, here's this it's so funny. Every time God picks somebody, who's he pick? He picks these pieces of shit, right? He picks his, I mean, I shouldn't say that, you know, he picks people who are definitely tainted with sin. You know, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, yeah, the, you know, a weasel like Jacob as an example. And, and then what does Jacob do when he finally meets God? He wrestles with them all night long. That's a song by ACDC. And then, um, and, I went Lionel Richie, but yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's you and me, Pete. That's our difference. That's the difference, and I am so sad about that. But it's, it's that wrestling with God where he gets his name, he gets his future, he right. gets his new covenant, and things get defined. And that ex- it's that experience, right? And right. so what I want for my kids isn't just to have some idea that they learn someplace that someone's trying to get them to repeat or regurgitate, but that they would be able to connect their life experiences, what they observe in the world around them in the universe, to an idea that makes some sense and mm. that that is a model that works for them as opposed to the idea and then imposing it on your experience absolutely right yeah i mean that's the you know that gets back into the filters we use you know when, when i was in college in the philosophy department at, at wheaton and then at calvin the uh you know there was a heavy emphasis on rationalism on using you know analytical models and and it's very useful it's fun foundational to a lot of philosophy but i think you know as philosophy progressed you know it kind of reached its zenith um, for 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 rationalism in the 1600s with you know with Leibniz, Spinoza, Descartes, etc. You know with modern philosophy and I think postmodern philosophy we've we've realized that those aren't always the best models. You know that there's a lot more going on than we can even you know explain a lot of times. And so you got into existentialism and and you got into um, you know, to phenomenology. Um, one of our professors, when I was at phenomenology? Wheaton, phenomenology. Oh yeah. So get this. So th- when I was at Wheaton, we had a young professor. You got to have him on the show. He just left. He's a brilliant uh, philosopher, Bruce Benson, who who did his PhD under at the time the greatest living phenomenologist. Phenomena. No, no, <laughs> I won't sing. But the uh, Gadmer, who was I believe at Heidelberg at the time, and he was his his whole field of study was the phenomenology of music. How does how do we how do we process something like music, the phenomena of music? Mm. And this professor did his PhD in the phenomenology of the jazz piano. Mm. And so you're, you're so far past, you know, proofs and rationalism and, and, and evidence, which are all important elements of understanding, but not the whole picture in the same way that, that you know, Newtonian physics isn't the whole picture of how the universe works. You know, we get into quantum mechanics and hopefully now into string theory, special and general relativity. Um, it really helps round that that picture out and give us broader understanding. And and I think the most important thing is it starts to connect deeply with our experiences. And so where where I connect in life, whether it's the brands that I build, the stories that I tell, the way that I work with my kids or my family, um, you know, I really want to give them tremendous freedom mm. to experience the world around us and to find and to to kind of draw out of those experiences what makes them the best people they can be. 
Mm-hmm. And whether it's how people interact with us in our drink and the business opportunity attached to it, whether it's how they interact with their faith or not, um, our you know our twenty year old right now is wrestling. You know, I don't know if he's wrestling with it, but he's you know he kind of isn't interested in faith questions right now, and we're very fairly comfortable with that. See, you, that's just such a new brand. I don't want to interrupt, but I just love that so much. Yeah, and it's because well, one, arguing with him isn't going to solve anything, and two, he needs to make it his at this point, not mine. Yeah. Um, and and that's because that's his job is to take the ball and run it further. He, or, or even just away from you. He, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Make uh, it his own. No, and he should be. He should be seeking out what his best self is and what his ideas right. are. And I think to you know, like uh, Pete, Pete Rollins is great on this. You know, where he talks about uh, the need to be an atheist in order to be a true Christian. If if you don't leave it, if you don't create a vacuum there, you can never truly have it. I don't think mm. because you're just embracing or repeating somebody else's ideas. I I have that. I've said that many times on the show that when I got divorced, I took all the furniture out of my faith room and then I slowly started putting different pieces <laughs> right. back in. Yeah. But then I was very surprised that I was like, let's bring in the old couch. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the, the grace couch or whatever it is. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But like I, that resonates with which me Which ideas deeply. stick and which ones you need to abandon, Because right? you absolutely yeah. have to burn it the fuck down to see what will regrow. Right. No, I completely absolutely. agree. Yeah. But we come from a tradition, a tradition, a proud tradition <laughs> right. of two things that we've dispelled right now. One is, I just was talking to a friend of mine who got a, a, a correspondence from one of their parents that was like, I pray protection around you. Let's say will not have a grip on you. And God will, you know, that yeah. sort of language. And I was like, that's terrifying. You know, right. that's putting all that power back on pornography. All, like all, your, all your focus there. Yeah. yeah. You're right? thinking yeah. about the devil that's out to get you all the time, all the time. And that, that can fuck you up. I've right. seen movies about that and it'll right. fuck me up for a week. Right. And then two, the other thing is just this horrible it almost is like a like a slavery or something i think it's a bit like child abuse i think it is child abuse i don't know why I'm, it can be right to lie to your children with certainty children who look up to you like fucking greek statues you are mount rushmore <laughs> especially me pete I'm yeah well, <laughs> yeah you're a statuesque man <laughs> yeah thank you but like looking up at them at these giants that are telling them things instead of saying i don't know they say Literal seven days. They say physical apple. They yeah. say flood. They say Jacob really did wrestle. They say Christ literally was born of a virgin and, and sinless life, physical death and resurrection, all that sort of stuff. And you don't know. You, oh, it's, you know it, what I mean? Like, what are you doing? And there's just crazy stuff, right? I mean, we just went, <laughs> finally went back to the Episcopal tradition because we got so tired of being in a place with nice people where you felt like you could argue every Sunday. Mm. My son came out of – my oldest son came out of uh, the youth group one Sunday and just was like – you know, they want to do an eight-week series on young Earth creationism. You know that the Earth is literally six thousand years old, and and it, you know I just said you don't have to go. This is this is a ridiculous idea that you don't need to waste your time on. You know, unless, you know, and then somebody said, well, couldn't couldn't you have an art? You know, have the kids debate it? And I said, well, only if the people who are arguing for a six thousand-year-old Earth also include flat with it. You know, so it's young and flat. Uh, it, it just because both <laughs> ideas are so utterly ludicrous, you know. People say, "Well, the, maybe the speed of light changed." And I say, "Really? Like the speed of light? The, the E equals mc squared. The C, the constant, the most constant thing in the universe, changed. Yeah. If that's true, we should all stop flying in, in airplanes immediately, right? <laughs> because then Bernoulli's principle is much less constant. It's just, it's just craziness. It's like what Brian Greene was talking about in your show. He said, "You know, there are things that we, that, are, that are facts that we can't argue about, and that you know, yes, there is some room for debate." A, a, along the sidelines of it but the essential facts are the essential facts and there's a reason why we don't freak out every time we get in an airplane because Bernoulli's principle is very consistent right but I also appreciate that uh, your son was 
talking to you about oh, yeah. what and, he was say- seeing. And he knew he could, right? And, could. That, and that's a big thing for me. When I was growing up, my parents are wonderful. I love them to death. But it was a different time. And I couldn't be honest and open with them like I wanted my kids to be open and honest with me. You know, we used to drink and drive when I was in high school. Everybody did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, fortunately, I had cruise control in a Buick Estate wagon. It practically drove itself. The- <laughs> <laughs> I do not endorse that joke. <laughs> no, many nights it did. But, you know, the, um, but the, but the fact is that, um, you know, it was the number one cause of death for 16-year-olds, for 16-year-old boys when I was growing up. Was drunk was driving. Drunk driving. Mm. And I just said, I don't want to have that problem with my kids. If, you know, let's assume that they're going to make some... Because of the... you didn't feel comfortable talking to your parents. I couldn't call my parents and say, come pick me up, I'm drunk. I mean, I could, but th- it would be... It'd be a it'd problem. Be, it'd be bad the next day. Whereas you are... Again, surfing on it, and Our, if your kids, you just see well, it. Well, the cool thing is, what it is. Kids these days, the high school, like we live in Laguna Beach. Um, kids in Laguna Beach do not drink and drive. They just don't. I mean, mm. if, if if there's one DUI among high school kids per year in Laguna Beach, that's a that's a you know an, an a anomaly. Uh huh. Yeah, and so you know. We may have six Ubers pull up to our house after a night of, you know, yeah. casual beer pong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, um, I hope they at least Uber X you. Come on. <laughs> well, that's yeah. not on their credit card. It just card. depends on what's, uh, <laughs> what's available, right? But the, um, <laughs> oh, that's what they say. That's what they say. Yeah. Why's the Escalade SUVs. here? Yeah. Um, but you know, or they'll put six kids in an Escalade. But the, but the fact is they're not drinking and driving and, and, you know, they're doing what we all did. And I think they're doing it more responsibly. We just, we lived in Germany last year. We lived in uh, Bavaria and outside Munich. And, and, you know, there the drinking age is 16 for, uh, for, for the, for the, for that part of Germany for beer because beer is considered a food. And, you know, kids aren't perfect, but, the, when you can drink and eat with your kids and teach them how it's supposed to be used, right. I think it's much better than, you know, For I say, you know, look, we don't wait till our kids are 16 and just throw them the car keys and tell them good luck. Mm-hmm. So why would you do that, you know, and say, well, when you're 21, good luck, I hope you figure out tequila. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you kind of want them to know how to make it work. And by the Harder way, by the, than a Kia to figure w- out. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> and by the time they go to college, you're not going to have any say anyways. So I don't want my kids to be a shit show their first year in college. I want right. them to have a pretty good idea of what alcohol is and, and how to use it responsibly or semi-responsibly. And it is European. And you're reminding me of how alcohol was seen in my house and, and the way that I... Uh, you know, I haven't been, as you know, we talked about, that's why I was asking you about the sugar thing and stuff. So I'm taking a break from alcohol and I'm enjoying it. But then I was like, the way that I often look at alcohol is it's almost like something that you do and you do secretly. Um, like it's not necessarily something that you do socially. When you're masturbating. You jerk off with the devil's hand while drinking. <laughs> a couple uh, shots a couple of tequila. Shots. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Actually, what are you I've, doing right now? I've held the hand of the devil. <laughs> it was warm. It was cold as the stone. No, it was warm in the night. Anyway, that's a U2 reference. Anyway. <laughs> But the idea that, uh, and again, my parents did the best they could, but that idea that alcohol wasn't really addressed in my family, but it was also just seen as this, I knew my dad had a liquor cabinet, right? you know what I mean? But it was never really addressed or brought up to me, and it was always just kind of... Well, something I didn't want to talk about. So we, I grew up in Michigan on this little lake that feeds into Lake Michigan, and we lived right next to the Spring Lake Yacht Club, right? And so in the summer, you'd sleep with your windows open, and you'd hear all these parents partying over there, having a great, obviously having a great time. Mm. Um, we raced sailboats with all these families and knew the families, and, but my mom and dad didn't tend to go over there for those parties because my mom didn't like heavy drinking. Yeah. Um, and so I just remember, like on Sunday, my mom we we wouldn't we couldn't race sailboats because you know that was well because we when you're sailing you, know, you have a sailor's mouth you're usually swearing at people it's pretty <laughs> we're racing scows they they're really tight sailor's match racing mouth? and 
Yeah, and you just, I mean, I, it was terrible. But the, um, but the thing is, is, you know, there was like this whole verboten element of the Spring Lake Yacht Club and Sundays and those, those booze parties that sounded like so much fun. And instead, we would go to church twice on Sunday, mm. which was awful, <laughs> and, in, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure they were well-meaning people with good intentions, but I just, it was not fun as when you're a kid. You yeah. Know, no, that sounds awful. You're playing kick the can. Of, and Jacob was a piece of shit. <laughs> you're playing kick the can. <laughs> yeah. You know, at 4 p.m. and you're just hitting the apex of that kick the can game your mom comes out and you can hear the door open and you know she's going to say it's time to come in for church oh, and you're the, you know your your stomach it just ruins church for the rest of your life of but, course but but i guess my point is growing up i would say man those people sound like they're having a great time that sounds way better than the option i'm about to embrace and so you know i had to go solve that for myself and figure it out and and of course i did but um, I go to less church and have more cocktails than my parents. Um, <laughs> but, that, but it's figuring that out, you know, and, and finding it for yourself. The thing, yeah, I just remember, I forget what it was with your kids, but there was something that you approached that when you said that thing to me that I always quote you saying is yeah. some people believe in the sovereignty of God, but I don't <laughs> think they really do. Right. And I really believed you in that moment. We were surfing and we were talking about some story about some party, yeah. I think, that got out of hand, I think. With the and kids? I, yeah, maybe. That I think Rob had to go and like break up or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You know, the, the, with the internet and uh, social media, the parties get mobbed pretty fast. You know, right. As soon as somebody finds out where it is and it goes online, then then every on the line, on the line, on the intraweb. That's how you speak. Yeah, then it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of hip with these young kid terms. You yeah, know? and yeah. OC three cable. <laughs> I but that idea that I was see here OC, OCD cable. The thing that is so interesting to you about me is the is that sort of fearlessness. You challenge how much fear. I am constantly running just through my blood. Right. Meaning, when I uh, fantasize about having children, I think about things like, you know, if a kid starts drinking before the age of uh, 16, mm-hmm. uh, he has a, like, 60% more chance to become an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the brain cells that you're using around that time, 13, 14. That's when you're developing the neural pathways that you'll have the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very careful. You know what I mean? I almost mm-hmm. want to white glove it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, how are you so... And I didn't. I wasn't being a passive aggressive. I think there is a passive aggressive way to be like, "How are you so cavalier?" <laughs> right, I really, right. but I really do admire it because I look at your kids. I've served with your kids. They're yeah. good kids. Thanks. You know what I mean? They're, they, it's just like undeniable. You're like, these are good kids. Everybody's fine. But you're doing it in this way that isn't writing your son a letter, being like, "I, I, I bestow the protection of the blood of Christ around you." Uh, going to a party, let me let me lay my hands on you and and put fear in you. I did. I inherited yeah. the idea that if you go to a party, I love my mother very dearly. She did the best she could. My mother is going to sit at the kitchen table and wait and worry. And then I saw that, and then I learned going out is bad. Going yeah. out causes stress. It's also the unknown. But, but so okay, so so take that idea. So one of the things I do do, which people may find kind of strange, probably because you know they may not understand it, but. Um, you know, I read this book, Hostage to the Devil, by Malachi Martin. The Exorcist was largely based on it. it. Was the top six, I think, five or six worst exorcisms in the Jesuit history, and they're documented like case studies. So they're actually fairly well documented historically. They're they're and they're they're awful. I don't like where this is going. But one of the things I noticed was that. Um, all like, the kids never tried an excess energy drink. One of the things that, one of the things, but one of the things that it um, prevents exorcism. Ninety-five <laughs> percent <laughs> of the time. Look, a hundred percent of people that drink yeah. excess energy drink have never been possessed by a demon. Yeah, well, that's what they say, and so, 
I can either, you know, somebody just got sued. Uh, Red Bull just got sued for the claim that. that Red Bull gives you wings and some jackass sued them because he never got wings. You know, and so I'm a little cautious about claims we yeah. make these days. But the, you know, I want to sue you. <laughs> <laughs> I've had your drink. <laughs> Is that Jabba the Hutt or the Devil? <laughs> oh, wonka, my tichubaka. Um, so, but the, you know, but 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 for, one of the things I read in there was that you know, in the occult, they mark the kids when they're born, like they baptize them and they assign this this demonic thing to it, and that's very hard to get people to break out of it, partially because of that. What do you What do you mean? Like they assign like a, a demon that kind of you know is in there is part of that kid's life, right? Right. Kind of like in the Christian tradition, we baptize and hopefully there's a shroud of protection or whatever we call right. it around them. So one of the things I, I take kind of seriously is I've always kissed my thumb and marked the cross on my kid's forehead since they were little, and I say you know sealed by the Holy Spirit, marked as Christ's own forever. Just to remind myself that it's not all about me. It's not my job. I'm not the one who has to protect them and has to take care of them and has to make sure they do everything perfectly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this at you, and it's, it's going to be a little weird, <laughs> a little <laughs> uncomfortable for me, because I know your kids, and yeah. uh, I don't want to treat them like lab mice or like what-if scenarios. Yeah. But, you know, talking about the East, uh, the way that we look at God and religion in the East, and, and what I have gotten from Joseph Campbell— obviously, is uh, is that we're ethics-obsessed, right and right. wrong, good and bad, protection and the devil got you sort yeah. of thing. Then you look at the West, uh, I'm sorry, the Far East. I, I just called it the East. If you keep I mean, going West, you get there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's a circle, baby. <laughs> or it's flat, depending on which church depending you Depending on your to. view. But the idea that uh, God in a lot of Far Eastern traditions and more ancient traditions isn't the ambassador of good, he's in the middle. If we have the spectrum and here's good, here's evil, he's the or she is yeah. the thing in the middle. The referee. He's the transcendent presence that sees neither good nor bad. Okay. He's outside of duality. Right. So here we are going, Holy Spirit or whatever it is, protect my kid. And I believe that, and I actually think that's very moving uh, and, and legitimate as a good reminder for you and p- potentially for them. But what happens if, you know, let's just say something minor happened to your kid. Did God fuck up? <laughs> or are you also in the middle with God going like, uh, my son breaking his leg is the same as my son not breaking his leg. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think um, I think that gets to, like, how do we use prayer as an example, right? I, I think, um, which which to me gets back to surfing and some of these other things, I think there are better analogies. But, you know, I, I view prayer not as a place to go get things from God, like he's some big Santa Claus or she's some big Santa Claus, but that prayer is our desire to participate in God's will in the movement of the universe as it occurs. Kind of like surfing, you know, I, I did this interview, I used to write this column, People Who Surf for Surfer Magazine back in the early 90s, and one of the people I interviewed was this guy named Dave Schmidt, who's a big wave surfer in Northern California, raised by a Presbyterian father, not that religious himself probably anymore, but, um, you know, he said to me, he was one of the first guys to surf Mavericks, big wave up in Northern California, and he said, power doesn't come from having power everywhere but from knowing where to put it on mm. meaning when you're surfing huge waves and there's all that power that can literally kill people the, w- the way that you essentially harness it isn't by trying to control the wave but by finding how you can insert yourself in it to be able to to uh, you know to harness something for yourself in it and yield to it and yield to it um, merge with it yes exactly so to be a, to it's, it's about you becoming part of it not trying to to harness it to your will mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's a really valuable life lesson for how you should i mean any energy in the universe, however you define it, I think that's probably the best way to try and embrace it isn't to try and 
you know, make it something for you, but make it something that you follow and pursue. So the C.S. Lewis thing, prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes me. Yes, exactly. Like you're merging with the, so here's God's will or or the flow or the plan or whatever it is. That is this wave, and you just want to make sure you're in the right spot on it. Right. Let, let me participate in your grace, not you You bend to my will. Not put his grace or whatever it is in a hose and spray it on your sons. <laughs> not, no, I try not to. <laughs> but then you, I want to talk about that fearlessness thing. I, I often – you've become a person in my life that I go, what would Vanderveen do? I, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable – I actually have a bracelet for you. It's a, what would Vander Rocker do? That was my Vander Rocker. College. Yeah, it was my college. We UK. could talk about you in college. Oh, I boy. love those stories. Yeah, yeah. But this idea that uh, you know, my girlfriend and I would be, we'll catch ourselves saying things like uh, Vandy's would do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like that, those. Uh, what do you do? Stickers. What do you do right after that? Well, then we fuck real hard. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you giving her looks. I'm just kidding. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> but the yeah. idea of you know. Uh, when we, my girlfriend and I took mushrooms together in Laguna. Yeah. And we, I remember. Magic, magic mushrooms. Magic mushrooms. Right. We didn't just eat some shiitakes. <laughs> this was... It was the last time I did it. It was a couple of months, like maybe five, four months ago. And it was this thing where we were like, I, w- I, can, I can sell mushrooms. You want to talk about sales, like Amber. Right, right. I can sell mushrooms to somebody if they're willing. You yeah, know, yeah. If, if you're not into that sort of thing, it's not. But I, I love talking about. Uh, unknowable things. Right. Because the thing I like about mushrooms and the most valuable thing about mushrooms, spiritually valuable to me, is that it gives you an experience that you can't explain. Right. So it takes you into a transrational place where you're like, the walls look different. You can't. <laughs> you right. can't. We can't capture it in film. You can't capture it in writing. Right. You have to do you it. You have to experience and it. And I think that's beautiful. But So anyway, I also, you know, trying to be, it was, my, it was my girlfriend's first time, trying to be a reasonable. I was like, it can also go this way. You need to have a good attitude about it. Right. And then we used you as our spirit animal sort of thing. <laughs> we were like, be like Vanderveen. Surf it. Don't try and force it to make us feel yeah. tingly. And don't fear the demon faces in the clouds. You know what I mean? Just right. Embrace just it. Embrace yeah. it. But I mean, what is that? You're, I know you're extroverted, and that that just seems to be genetic or something. But it also seems like a philosophy. We touched. We've touched on it I've, a little. I've bit. actually learned to be extroverted. I was really an introvert as a child. Yeah, it's actually true. You the, helped me realize that I'm introverted because you're <laughs> you're always up for it. Like I remember a great David moment was Rob and I were going surfing. Yeah, and we weren't sure if you were coming because you had flown in from Tokyo or whatever the night before. Right. So here you are jet lagged and you only slept four hours if you fell asleep. Right. And then you got up and you had more energy than any of us. You know what I mean? And you were you were you were up for it. Well, well, you know, Pete, that's because of <laughs> you, son of a bitch. Excess energy. Now drinks, people are TM. really gonna think. <laughs> now they're really gonna think. But the idea that that you you've helped me identify, and and what makes you, I don't mean to be so bald here, but valuable as a friend, is that good example. I've told Rob that I had shows. Uh, when I was doing the talk show where I was like so tired and grumpy that I, that I couldn't, I didn't think I could do it. The audience was like a little tired too. Yeah. Third episode, second episode wasn't that great audience wise. Third episode, I'm, I'm just going to die. And then I was like, it, it was the thought of telling Rob, no, I turned it around. Right. That helped me turn it around. Right. Similarly, when I have you, this friend who also, I want to tell that story, uh, <laughs> but you know, good and day. I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud you turned it around, Pete. Thank you, Vandy's. And you would have hurt my feelings if you hadn't. I would be very. I would be putting shame and guilt on you the whole way. I would be on your back voting. I know, I know. Yeah. that's you in a nutshell. Yeah. You're really an asshole. Was the idea uh, 
the the Vandys would go thing. The you get up and you and you go and serve has forced me to come to terms and look in the face. What is it that I'm afraid of when you right. when you don't go to the party, or you or you want to sleep and you're like I better sleep. Yeah. Why? I'll be grumpy. I'll be low energy. I'll get, I'll get fatigued and I'll wish I hadn't gone. Right. That's the fear. You seem to be somebody that looks at that fear and goes, "That's a possibility, perhaps." Or, or I could have a great time and sleep later. Right. I mean, tell me about becoming an introvert, extrovert too. Well, I mean, I guess so. Like my, my wife calls me a sleep camel because I do have a very busy schedule and I don't oh, can't always fit sleep into my schedule. And but, you love to hump. And I love to, <laughs> don't we all? But the, um, <laughs> but the, you know, the, I guess the thing that that it comes down to is you know learning to know what your limitations are and your boundaries are and continually stretching those. Um, I interviewed Laird Hamilton a while ago. He was he, his wife. We sponsored his wife Gabby as part of a project. And Big server, Laird Hamilton. Huge surf. Yeah, yeah. He's right. One of the first. He re- man on a surfboard. Yeah, and very progressive. Really developed a lot of the things that have become standard today. Towing into huge waves. Uh, you know, a lot of different things. But yeah. he says, you know. Um, I like to scare myself a little bit each day. Mm. And he's the guy who does really big, scary things. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really – I think that's one of the best things that any of us can learn to do because we all have boundaries and boxes that we put ourselves into. Right. And we also have limitations we have to be aware of. All of those things can move. And you know, I've definitely put myself in situations I shouldn't have and gotten um, in trouble you know, uh, in a variety of ways. And, and I – Part of the reason that it's good for me to go not too far but but far enough is to remind myself that I am human. I can't do everything. You know, there are times where I get physically sick because I from exhaustion because I push myself too hard mm-hmm. and my body will make me stop. Um, and those are wake-up calls. There's other wake-up calls that happen. But I, I, I think, you know, so first of all, it's, I think it's really good to know what our limitations are and to continually be pushing those boundaries. Um, and I guess, you know, that's that, that's – that's what I'm trying to do with like, with my kids. I keep telling them there's there's a word that we have with with excess, um, kick aspirational. There was a <laughs> there was a point where um, with some you know Amway's more conservative than we are. They're great partners of of us, really good friends. And there was some people we were working with who I didn't think were getting the idea of what we were trying to to tell them. We were saying this has to be cool. And they were saying, well, yeah, this is cool. And I was like, you saying this is cool and me saying this is cool, we have a gap here. And so I said, it has to be kick-ass because it's hard to confuse kick-ass, right? ACDC's kick-ass. Lionel Richie. (laughs) Very good callback. (laughs) Right? Um, And so so we have a a, uh, word we use, kick-aspirational, which means it's got to be kick-ass in a way that brings you forward, that's positive, that's progressive. Um, and, And with my kids, you know, one of the things I was just challenging my older son at college, I said, you know, when you're there, do things, make things, try things. Don't be afraid. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he joined modern dance um, as, as one example and um, came home from, from his first semester in college. We had been in Germany and, and we were at the house in Laguna. And I said, what are you doing this fall? And he said, uh, well, you know, I think I'm going to sign up for rugby. And I was like, have you ever seen a rugby ball before? Hmm. Um, you know, but that was one of the things he wanted. No, he hadn't. And, yeah. uh, and he was, was working out. They were, my kids are on these what they call gains programs where you know, they, they stretch tall and they want to put some muscle mass on. So he was trying to do manly things. And he said, yeah, and I'm, I've signed up for modern dance as well. Hmm. And I said, is there anything else you want to tell us? You know, but, <laughs> but it was, it's just, it's That's great that, yeah, it. you know, but it's great that, um, that one that, you know, he feels comfortable enough to try those things and to express himself and to to do that and be in a place where you can be comfortable doing that right. and that's, you can figure out what you should and shouldn't do that's 
utterly fascinating to me be, uh, in life. Here's what I love is that you're looking at your limits and your boundaries as as is malleable the right word movable. Yeah, 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 malleable. It's, it's yeah. bendable. Yeah. We can stretch them and move them. And it's just so interesting that we are acting on the idea of ourselves that we've built up in our memories, you know, and that other people have put on us. Right. I've lately just kind of been cleaning the closet a little bit, looking at the people that I have around me. You know, it's not like I'm booting people out of my life, but I'm trying to be when I'm with them a little bit more careful about what I'll allow in. Because you, you, especially with comedians, we have too many people in our lives that if you want to take modern dance that are going to be like, really? You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. And and I think really humor and really and sarcasm are just just AIDS. They're just two of the worst things ever. Right. And they're – stop – to quote Duncan Trussell, who I just adore and should come back on – is is the idea that he looks at us as we're we're in meat spaceships, you right. know what I mean? <laughs> right. And we were sent to this planet. Right. And he was like, and therefore he kind of uses it for drugs, but what? Not not just drugs, but everything. He's like, yeah. I want to read, taste, feel, touch, lick everything. Right. While I'm here. Right. Because this spaceship disintegrates. We know it is. Right. We can't fly back to where we came from. We're here, and it's going to de- degrade while we're while we're still flying it. Especially when you're over forty. I mean, you, your meat spaceship is just breaking down. That's it's, right. It's just a matter of time and space. The antenna right. goes first. Right. <laughs> we're all going to die of something. Make it fun. Like we were, yeah. we were. I was playing tennis today with my wife and uh, a couple friends, and you know, we were talking about pot, which I pointed out is now called cannabis because we're all trying to make it more socially acceptable. Yeah. Than, which is whatever. But um, the rebranding of pot. Yeah. But the. But you know Are the. Are they with? Ah, uh, oh, fuck. <laughs> I forgot the name of the company. Amway. Are they with Amway? Uh, no. <laughs> Shit. Yes and no. We'll edit it. I'm but the. But so we were talking about this, and my wife said, you know, well, you know, she's – my wife is a – fortunately, she's a great compliment to me. She's more of a perfectionist. She likes to control things more than I do. We call her the camp director, mm-hmm. right, in, in our home, which is the whistle? camp, Vanderhalla. She is the camp director. I'm a camp counselor on a good day. Many days I'm just a camper with the other campers, <laughs> yeah. the boys. But um, we were we were talking, and she said, you know, well, maybe if I get cancer, I'll, I'll go back to smoking pot. And I said, you know, honey, it's called cannabis. And I said, you know – um, I figure we're all dying every day at this point, so why not just embrace it? Yeah, right? I don't like pot. My doctor makes me smoke it, but uh, <laughs> but it's that you know it's that concept of you know what do you? I, I like to know what I'm missing and see if I really am missing it or not. You know, right. um, and and so I think that's kind of an important thing, and it's uh, certainly something that with my kids, I when I when they're picking colleges, like I love the liberal arts tradition. I love the idea of trying a whole lot of things when you're at that age and figuring out what you should be doing more and less of. Mm-hmm. Um, but but at the same time, not just thinking about ideas and writing papers, but actually starting things. Um, you know, I went to Wheaton College for my first three years of college education, and my freshman year, the most formative thing that happened to me there, there was a guy who was a senior. His name, we, everybody called him Bronk. He was six foot four or five, big, tall guy, lanky, really effeminate, and um, you know, so he was this, you know, you know. So the idea of naming him Bronk was kind of a funny thing because he right. wasn't this big, masculine dude. Um, and he liked it. He called himself. Oh Bronk. yeah, yeah. Everybody. He mean that was his nickname. Um, when 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 he was a senior, we had chapel every day. The chaplain said, "Hey, uh, Bronk just had a baby brother uh, who's now going to be called Baby Bronk." And Bronk stood up in chapel and did the Princess Die wave, <laughs> and everyone just started laughing. You know, and basically, 
he brought joy to that campus. He brought light like and a salt. Yeah, he was. Everybody did whatever he wanted to do. He um he would do bronc parades. He would do bronc banquets in his own honor. He would do the the. <laughs> he was Caesar. Oh, he was he was and he was so funny. He would do the you know um, they were they were like variety shows. He would do um. He he had the the Bronx wedding and at Wheaton in your the the end of your senior year a lot of people are so afraid they're not going to find a good Christian mate that they kind of in my opinion kind of settle for whatever they can get their hands on get your MRS degree right and um, they call it going up the tower you go up this tower on campus ring the bell when you get engaged and you know people get married so he and another friend of ours this Must Asian be a noisy campus yeah very noisy at the <laughs> spring semester but um, fall semester not so much and you got time on your side maybe I can get that girl you're right? still dry humping at that point. yeah you're still or other or Orifices, right? People yeah. People moist humped. Yeah, yeah. People did naked dry humping called moist humping. You know, yeah, exactly. Moist and dry. <laughs> Wet and dry, yeah. Dry. As long Slather, as you have a wipe, you're okay. Oh, yeah. God. So the, but you know, you so, don't have to pull out, you have to pull in. <laughs> pull in. <laughs> Meet me. Promise me you're a pull in. Finish it with a, with a, with a wet one. But the, um, so get this the the president of the college Dick Chase I kid you not his name Dick is Chase unfortunate name mm-hmm. yeah you imagine that in the phone book Chase Dick I mean it's just <laughs> so many so many great jokes why don't you just go by Richard right yeah. Richard Chase but so Dick Chase gives away Helen Helen I think her last name was Kim to to Bronk. The chaplain does the wedding. We do it out in front of Memorial Student Center. The entire campus participates in it, right? Mm. And this guy is hilarious. The campus is following. You know, anything he wants to do, everybody wants to do it, too. And, and, you know, come on. We all knew that Bronk was effeminate. We knew that he was probably gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was part of that culture and that thing. And at, then, a, at a very conservative Christian school. At a school. very conservative Christian school. But then the second that he comes out and says, hey, I'm gay, and, you know, my response was, yeah, no shit, right? Right. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm better than that now. I, I realize that when somebody comes out to you, it's not just... You don't you say no shit. You don't say, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> you say, oh, really? That's great. You know, yeah, of I'm, course. I'm with you. Yeah, of course. Um, but, but the... But the... You know, the... He came out after college? Yeah, after college. And and ultimately, I think he kind of distanced himself from the school and from that association because he felt like, like that made him an outcast. And, and did th- it? Once he came out, was it not uh, Well, there's okay? a lot of people in that culture, especially at Wheaton, um, where it's much more conservative than a lot of other schools, where it's very... It's, you know, they, they start to... If you say it, they'll, you know, they'll put you down and they'll say, you know, you can't be a part of this body anymore. Um, where if you don't say it and just pretend you're not, then everyone's okay with it as if we didn't know. Right. And I think that's, that's one, it's completely it's intellectually dishonest, but I think also it's it's um, it's keeping people from their fullest self, whatever that fullest self is. And right. it's and why is it up to us? I mean, why is it, if, even if you, are, if you are a Christian, you do believe these things, it's between them and God, not between me and them and God. I mean, how did I assert myself in this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. That's, you've got to figure out your fullest self with your relationship to the universe, however you define that. And, you know, but that's the sort of horseshit that I had at Gordon as well. We right. had, we had, I still am in touch with some of them. Very, very uh, stereotypically gay people. Yeah. Um, and that's not all gay people. I'm just saying very effeminate, very Liberace gay, Liberace styles. Right. Yeah. No one was confused about Liberace. And they, these, these, uh, I've talked to them at length about it and they're just like, you know, they'd go to dances with girls and stuff. And it was just like, it was just a big jerk off. And, and it, it's, it was so sad. Right. You know what I mean? It was like pretending you're not Chinese or something. <laughs> right. like, we know you're Chinese. But then the second you say you're Chinese, everyone's like, well, we don't like Chinese people. Right. It's fucking crazy. Well, I went, to, I went to Holland Christian High School, and um, you can imagine very white suburban. And this, there were two African-American kids 
Can we say black? I, I, I don't know if I we can, can, can say black. black. Two black kids, and they were. It depends um, on how you say Afro, it. If you these two with, blacks. <laughs> like you can't do that. I'm going with Afro-American. Afro-American. I just think American it's not used fine. enough. And, like Kramer and his apology. Well, it's, it's, yeah, and it's not even you know it's not it's it doesn't tie into color. Like you can be an Afro-American and just have curly hair. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, um, just hair. Anyways, I know some white Afro. There were these two kids who you know had darker skin than the rest of us that were adopted, and they um they I swear they didn't know they were on the swim team. They laid out at the beach, you know, and 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 I kind of feel like then the second you say, "Hey, wait a minute," they're African Americans, and you put a category or name on it, all of a sudden people are like, "Whoa, they're not one of us." Right. And I, you know, as long as you don't name it, and as long as you say, you know, what we're all part of the same humanity. We're all children of God in some level. Right. And whatever, however, you need to fulfill that is between you and God, not between me, you and God. I think we all live better lives. Yeah, I, I, you're reminding me of one time I was on vacation with uh, my parents a long time ago, and this little girl was talking to uh, my dad. My dad loves kids and talking to kids, and the little girl out of nowhere just goes, "We're Jewish." <laughs> and my dad, and then she she didn't say "We're Jewish" and run away. She then she left later, and my dad just goes. Uh, she knows she's different, right? <laughs> that's, is, like, what? It's one of my favorite cards in Cards Against Humanity. What? One of the answer cards is, is. just the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> because you look at it and you're like, really? Like that, that's such a loaded, like you it's know, loaded. Oh my gosh, that's it's a like, good card. You know, it's almost like the Dutch, but it's only funny in certain yeah, categories yeah, yeah, of people, yeah, yeah. right? Ovens. Yes. But the idea <laughs> of labeling yourself, even a, a child goes, "I'm Jewish. I'm different. Yeah. I'm different." I, I completely understand. So many things in the air. Uh, I did want to get back to the extrovert thing. How did you overcome being introverted? Well, I realized that the payoffs are much bigger for extroverts than introverts. Sure. At least in my experiences in school. And um, and when did you make the shift? Uh, I think it was it was like probably junior high ish. You know, late grade school, junior high, when you're kind of developing yourself in mm-hmm. in that awful stage of life where everyone's trying to kill each other mm-hmm. um and i just figured you got i got a lot more i was I, you know i developed late in life so i was a smaller kid and um i think for me it was it was how i protected myself was you know but if you can be funny people won't attack you right yeah. or, if, or, or if they attack you they attack you in a way that isn't trying to be awful it's because they kind of like you or your part you're they're bringing you into their tribe um and so that was for me it was when i when i could make somebody else laugh or smile I realized that I could bring them closer to me and I could, you know, I could start a relationship that would hopefully protect me in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't like I was getting attacked all the time, but I think that was in the back of my mind part of that you could be that, that I, yeah, that I could have some kind of power in the social group that would enable me to survive essentially. Yeah. So you and prosper willed you know? yourself to just go out more. Is it still an effort or is it now natural? Uh, it depends. Um, you know, I think my wife is much more introverted than I am. I, I actually kind of thrive on on social circles now, and um, I don't think I did all the time. I think I learned to do that. Uh, some people say that's genetic. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think we there's so much that happens through our environment and our development that it's hard to tell what is and what isn't. I agree. Let's talk about surfing. Yeah. You surf. I do. And you're like, what do you learn from surfing? I mean – one that is just a joy. I mean, for, for me, growing up, it was where I could get away from everything. And I grew up surfing on the Great Lakes. That's how I was swimming, by the way. Can yeah. I just interrupt? I got my family and my fucking brother, and like you yeah. go swimming, and it's just – I still – you've seen me you swimming. You love to swim. Yeah. I love it. I yeah. love going under, yeah. and it's just me. Yep. You know what I mean? No, and same for me. We lived on a lake, and – you know, I would swim in the summertime. I would just swim for hours and hours and hours and hours because swimming gave me freedom to get away from. Yeah. Not that when I was. When you're a kid, you can't get in the car. Yeah. N- not that my home was <laughs> awful or anything. Was, yeah. No, no, It was no. lovely. I just wanted to 
have it's, my own space. It's, yeah. it's like a driver's license for a child if oh, there's yeah. a body of water that he can get in. Right. It's the only thing. Like, if you were in a field and the kid was like, I'm just going to run right. a good distance from you, you'd be like, that's fucking weird. But as <laughs> soon as he's swimming, you're like, he's, he's a good kid. Well, and, and the woods were like that for me, too. We had a lot of woods around our house. We yeah, had boats. So it was, it was always those kind of that's things. That's the Calvin and Hobbes ideal. Just being able to go off into the woods and hike and discover things and, and maybe the water build a fort and, and the woods don't have any input on you they right. don't want you to behave a certain way or, or, or have an agenda yeah and it's it's why boys build forts right i yeah. mean why do you build a fort well not only is it a place to preserve the pornography that was <laughs> uh, and, and hide the cigarettes that you may have found but it was you know it was basically it was your place right it was your place to escape with your with your bros and just have your own thing that's right and and I think that's you know it's obviously not nicer than the home your parents have. It's just right. you're doing it because it's your, your thing. Your mom can't come in. It's your thing. Yeah, she can't even find it. Right. That's the yeah. whole point of it. That goes back to like I remember when I was thinking about a house. I remember my dad was like you know offering help uh, in some way, and I was like, this was years ago, and I was like, yeah. I, I can't, I can't. When I have a house, I have to be able to go. This is my fort. Right. I I also like the idea that you go comedy paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> Suckers, which I think is so preposterous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, keep going. No, so I, you know, for me, I think surfing was an was an extension. We we grew up kind of, you know, as as a boy in our family, you were kind of expected to race sailboats, and it was it's pretty uh, it's it's pretty a pretty aggressive sport. It doesn't sound like it, but it, you really are. There's a lot of things that happen where you're forcing boats up, and you're you know you run into each other. Different, you know, so. Um, and the boats that we raced were called scows. They're flat-bottom boats with huge sail area that tip over and are very fast. They call them the hot rods of sailing. Um, and as I was a kid, going into the late 70s and the 80s, um, windsurfing started to become popular. And, and we started windsurfing, too. We had windsurfers, and so and they were doing a lot of buoy racing. And and so my brother and I, I remember being like in, in probably in middle school, and my brother was in high school, and he would drive us to these races, pro-ams at the time. Most of the people racing were in their 20s. And, you know... We were breaking equipment, and we were out in these big storms, and we were racing against much older people. We'd get free booze at these parties, and it was great as a kid. <laughs> but the um, but the but the fact is, like, I remember being out in these big storms on like on Lake Michigan, where you're losing sight of each other's masts out in the out in the surf. You know, when you're way offshore, and there's these big swells, they're fairly close together, and there'd be light. We'd see lightning storms. We'd see um, funnel clouds, like water spouts. Mm. Um, I don't know what my parents thought we were doing, but, you know, we're out there and you'd break equipment because there's a lot going on out there. And, and you have to paddle back, you know, a couple miles and, you know, or at least, you know, sometimes over a mile. And so for us between we we're just trying to simplify that experience. We love being in the big storms in the water. Um, it kind of adds this whole element of fun to the experience of swimming, essentially, mm-hmm. or, or sailing. And. When you take away the mast and the universal and the boom and the sail and you just have you and the board in that environment, it allows you to kind of in a way insert yourself into that energy and, and leverage it you know, in a way um, without all the breakage and damage and, right. and getting, ended up getting stuck way out in It's very zen someplace. and minimal. Yeah, it's much more minimal, much more zen. It's just, it's just simplifying. It's, it's much more elegant. It's just you, the board, and the wave. And, and what I love about it today, I mean, we used to do a few little contests. My sons on the, have been on this, the middle school and high school surf teams in Laguna. But, um, you know, for me, it's less about competition. It's less about being better than somebody else or even... Well, that's what you always say to me. You go, the surfer that's having fun is the best surfer. Like, yeah. So, and you say it kind of joking, but it's because I'm always falling, but I'm always having a ball. It doesn't matter. I mean, when, when I'm... 
especially when people are learning, there's a long learning curve to surfing, as you've discovered. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whole point is... Can I just say thanks yeah. again for that board? Yeah. You and Rob got me my first board. Yes. That's ridiculous. And it's... Uh, for and it's, my birthday. It's holding up well. It's great. Yeah. And you, you ride it well. And my girl uh, paddles on it. That's oh, how she, big it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're learning, you want the biggest board possible that's yeah. going to get you the highest wave count because yeah. that's how you learn how to surf. And so, it's a good feeling. I, I, th- I think for me, you know, for me, the most the, the point of surfing is being out in the ocean or in the lake or in nature. Right, you right. know, experiencing that energy from the universe. Right. Waves are basically, you know, we we get waves in in Southern California from all over the world. We get them from down as far as New Zealand. We get them, you know, hurricanes off Mexico, which we've been mm. getting lately a lot of really amazing surf this fall. Um, we get in the wintertime, we get you know waves from up near Alaska that that come wow. down, and and to, to think I never that never thought about that. So there's a big storm up in the Baltic Sea that generates. Or the, sorry, the Bering Sea, the Baltic Sea, would be hard to get yeah, to sure. us. But the you know there's, there's a big. Storm. I would not have corrected you. I'm <laughs> like a, yes. There's a big storm up up near Alaska. Let's okay. just say that right, and it generates all this power and this big depression that creates all this energy, and that energy travels through the water, and it creates waves. And the further those those waves travel through water, the further apart they get. So that by the time those waves get to us in Southern California, whether they're coming from the Bering Sea or they're coming from you know the the, the Southern Hemisphere, from New Zealand. They can be, you know, there could be 20 minutes between sets, between these, you know, say four or five big waves that come through and then it goes flat. Then a pause, yeah. And then all of a sudden it comes again. Where When you grow up on the Great Lakes, it all happens within, you know, maximum a couple hundred miles away. Mm. Um, because it happens as, you know, maybe it's down near Chicago or up near, you know, um, Green Bay. But it, ultimately it's all very tight and very compact. Mm. And so I think being able to experience that power, whether it's something that happens in a lake or something that happens in, a, in an ocean... And to be able to to participate in it is really fundamental to the experience, well, to the truths that I kind of see in life. Mm-hmm. Um, without trying to get too hokey about yeah, surfing, it's but safe it's place. Get into it. Yeah, but it's just. I guess this is about being weird. But the, you know, for me, it's that it's that tying together the experience of the universe with models that people have built of the universe and trying to find the true bits that make sense for my life. Hmm. Um, there was. Uh, some thread on Facebook where one of my old Wheaton friends was um, there was a, there was a number of gay Wheaton kids, alumni and students who protested a chapel speaker. And one of the alumni who wasn't gay said, it seems like all these gay students are talking about their experiences and their truths are all based on their experiences, meaning it wasn't based on some, you know, biblical authority, biblical authority. And I said, compared to somebody else's story, that you've built a truth around. I mean, right. uh, the Bible is stories, and they're well, yeah. But that that that's that problem. That is that problem. It's like uh, we either look at the Bible uh, again malleably, or we right, look right. at it as as a concrete thing. And I think a lot of people, even young people too, it appeals to them. It appealed to me to think of it as a concrete thing. Right. The more I learned about Nicaea and all that stuff, that kind of breaks it. Is that how you say it? Nicaea? Nicaea, yeah, Nicaea and Creed. Yeah. That whole thing about like it coming from people and these being stories and experiences of these people in a cultural time and a time and a place. Right and a worldview, cultural context, yeah, absolutely. That we have to then reshift it into our so and and even the interpretation of it, right? I mean, we're not reading the Latin and the Hebrew and the Greek; we're right. reading interpretations. So somebody we'll, made decisions about the words they picked when they did the interpretation. 
right. And then that goes back to you talk about people in your family going to Bible study and you trying to convince them, like, you're not just reading the Bible. Yeah, my mother's no lovely. One's, no one's yeah. just reading the Bible. My, my, I love my mother to death, and she loves me. We don't always agree on everything like most parents and, and, and children, but – you know, she spent decades in Bible study fellowship, and one of the kind of the tenets of Bible study fellowship is that they they're just reading the Bible. You know, like there's no prism right. that they're reading it through, or no filter that they're reading. Just it the through. words we're looking at the words, right? Which is which is foolishness, and it's I think it's intellectually dishonest. I think there's somebody somewhere in that crowd who built this, who realizes there is a theology behind it. They just don't want to tell you what it is, right? Um, and and I think you know it's it's like when you read. Um, you know, when, when you read the Harry Potter books, one of the things the kids find this book, I think it's in the Chamber of Secrets, that has this power and it tells them things they're not supposed to know and so they don't want to show it to anybody. And finally, when it's discovered, what Dumbledore tells the kids is, you know, when you find something that has a magical power and you don't know the source, you need to be very careful with it. Mm. And I think the same is true with religion or any other power that we have, science or otherwise. When, when you find a tool and it does things for you and you don't understand why or where it comes from, you really need to take a couple steps back, I think, and look at the history of the idea, the filters that it is based on, and and you know, so you know what it's good for and what it's not. When when I was interviewing Brian Green, one of the cool things he said was, you know, we were talking about the multidimensional universe that must exist for a constantly expanding galaxy to to have occur to 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 continue to occur. And he said, you know, so there's at least eleven dimensions. We only experience three: length, width, depth, plus time. So four dimensions, right? So there's seven we don't experience. And I had asked him, I said, so, so, so there's plenty of, is there, is there room for God in the universe? He said, there's plenty of room. There's these seven dimensions we don't see. He's not religious. He's not looking for God. Right. He's agnostic. Um, but he said, you know, look, it's, it's, there, there's different tools for different parts of our life. Science answers how questions really well. You know, how does this work? How does, right. how does light travel from here to there? Where faith answers why questions really really well. Why did why did the universe come to exist? The I would way say it does? myth answers why questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same. I mean, story. I, I equate personally, and, and you know, some people will freak out by this, maybe, but some not so much. But I think myths and religion have a lot in common, right? Sure. I think. Um, you know, look, the first scientific history happened with the Peloponnesian War with Thucydides. Before that, everything was myth. And it wasn't that it wasn't true. It was trying to purvey truths in a different way. Right. Uh, you know, people didn't ask what year did King David live before the Peloponnesian War. They talked about why he did what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they would talk about the reign of his time and why, you know, why he was in existence and what it all meant. Right. Um, Post-Thucydides, as we get into scientific understandings of the world – I think people forget that that's just one prism we can look at the world through and that, yes, knowing when people lived is an interesting fact, but why they did what they did is even more important oftentimes. And I think that's what myth delivers for us right. in a way that getting all the facts exactly correct don't really matter as much. I mean, you think about think about if, if you're God and, and you're trying to communicate the truths if. of the... <laughs> when you're God and you're trying to communicate the, the truths of the universe to a nomadic, pe- you know, post-slavery people, the, the Israelites wandering around the desert if they actually did um how would you do that i mean they can't read and write they don't have tools to retain anything you can't give them biology textbooks even if you did they would be destroyed within within weeks and months yeah you'd maybe burn them for roast that quail that you're bringing down to you but the 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 idea is you would tell true stories that people could retain and repeat Mm-hmm. And you you can't you don't have a lot of room for facts because you don't have the storage capacity for facts right right um, you don't have the intraweb <laughs> right on the line or the, or the interest really yeah or the interest and you know it's it's a different set of questions it's a different set of tools and so I think knowing your your 
knowing the filters that you're using and what they're valuable for are really important. Well, in, yeah. go. No, in, in, in business, we have this, right? You have people who come from consumer packaged good backgrounds, the Proctors and Gambles of the world, as an example, and they use inductive logic, you know, business as science to, to run their operations. It's all about shelf space and 15% more and 10% off and all of these types, types of things that bore me to death. I'm much more interested in emerging brands and starting things. Um, and so they're using inductive logic, right? Inductive reason. If, if, if A, B, and C happen, if, if A and B happen, C will occur. They're look, they follow a trend. They're looking for that trend and trying to pursue it or intercept it. What you do with an emerging brand is very different. We use causal logic. So we're trying to basically tell stories. We're saying if A is going down the road and I bombard it with B, I'm going to move it someplace no one ever thought of before. Mm. We're trying to take if, – if you're thinking about where, what people are doing and you're putting those dots on a, on, a, on a graph and then you draw a trend line through it, we're not so concerned with where that trend line's going. What we're trying to do is, is find those dots, those, those actual centers of reality, and bring them someplace else because the trend line isn't real. The trend line is just a, a, manip- is a manipulation of that data to say this is where we think it's all headed. And most of the times people are right. But when you see an iPod for the first time, it moves everybody to a place that never even knew right. existed. When someone runs the five-minute mile. Right. Then all of a sudden, it blows our concepts of reality. It blows the trend line out of the water. And we all end up going in a totally different direction than everything was predicting we would have ended up at. Right. And I think that's where – I mean, for me, that's what makes life fascinating and interesting. Do these stories really move people? Does this, does this idea really take someone – someplace else right and and can we deliver value for people so that they will meet us in a place they never even considered going before right that will wake them up to opportunities in their life that they didn't even know existed um you know i i really believe that that's fundamentally why i'm here i you know and to do that you have to be a okay with failure because you're not going to get it right most of the time. You're going you're to have all these iterations that are wrong, 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 then all of a sudden you'll be like, wow, we, we did this thing. We moved these people someplace. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, that process is mostly about telling big, true stories that surprise people, typically to fix a problem no one else has been willing to fix or to deliver some ultimate value that address, no one's been able to, to, to deliver. And address the jazz piano. <laughs> and address, how do we hear jazz? No, but going back to your buddy's yeah, study. The phenomenology, phenomenology of the jazz piano. Yeah. But, the, but this is Rob's thing, and this is a, I've become my thing, and I know it's your thing as well, is uh, how do we move uh, past empiricism and, and into a little bit of meta, metaphysics, I suppose, in the sense that jazz piano moves me, you know what I mean? And it's I, all about experience. Right. Yeah. So I, I think it's about existence and experience, and it's about connecting those dots. So these days, particularly, especially with the next, with younger people, you know, with the next generation, advertising really doesn't work. Um, you, you really need to create opportunities, and I think probably always have had to, but, it, you know, no one's fooled by advertising anymore, thank God. And so what, what you have to do is create opportunities for people to discover new new ideas and new brands, new products, new new services, whatever it is you're trying to to share, um, and hopefully create a feeling or a taste or some kind of of you know interactive experience where it, where it adds value to somebody so that they start to have belief that that thing is actually doing something for them. Mm. 
when you have that, when you develop that instance of belief, that, that, that discovery of value, I think that's when you start to get to this point where people start to give you trust. They start to allow you to, to take them to maybe to a place they weren't comfortable going before and that you can have this shared relationship where they see that you're giving them value. You're not just trying to take something from them and they're giving you something back. Right. And that, that relationship, I think, is what makes business human or, or any relationship human. It sounds like a comedian and their fans, actually. Yeah, I mean, basically, you give them humor, you give them laughter, you give them joy, and they give you that that applause and that... And, and that, joy and, and interaction and all that sort of stuff. It's, yeah. it's, it is genuine. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, it is, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that ahead of time, but... It, That's why laugh tracks piss us all off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You're, it's, right? a, it's a problem. It's, it's inauthentic. It's yeah. pornography, is what it is. <laughs> right. Uh, well, see, that's that other thing, and we've talked about this a lot too. Is uh, Rob turning me onto this? Richard Rohr turning me onto this? That idea of trans rationality, right? Which is just so valuable to me. Why does art stir us? Why do these things mean more to us than we can explain? And what is outside of our uh, of our reason? Right. When we laid down, when we surrendered to the idea that biblical stories or Buddhist stories or whatever it is don't nece- that, that don't withstand the criticism. Like Brian Greene talking about sure. science being this, I completely agree, gorgeous, elegant thing that we can smash with a sledgehammer. Yeah, and you want that. You and need that. And change and adapt. It's important. And test it again. Right. Religion is not. And no, it's not, and and when, it's not designed to be that. But, it, but see, that's the difference. I grew up with hordes of people saying, yes, it is. God's real. You can't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? You're right. in the way. There's plenty of evidence for wind. Yeah, there's plenty of evidence for wind. You just told us about the wind that brings the waves from fucking Alaska. <laughs> right. So it's just like there's something about saying, don't you see you're on this trend graph and we're trying to go on the Y axis, what, the Z axis. We're using different forms of logic, right? So right. They, they aren't designed to battle each other or even to do the same thing for you. You know, it's, it's different tools for different purposes. When I was at Wheaton, um, we started this secret society called the Church of Reason <laughs> because, you know, it was, it was basically, you know, it was a little sarcastic, but it was, it was basically using humor and satire more than sarcasm, trying to, to show I mean, ourselves and other people who wanted to participate in our epic parties that, <laughs> you know, this idea of these rash, these overly analytical building blocks of theology were really just kind of foolishness. Um, you know, these people who are so concerned with a literal Adam and Eve, because if you pull that brick out of their uh, brickology or brickology, as, as Rob calls it, it destroys their entire you know, house of cards. Right. And rather than worry about the brick, I think what they really should be worried about is why are you building houses of cards about something so important as your relationship to the universe, which, by the way, should be malleable, which should be changing, which should be progressing, which should be taking you someplace you never dreamed Just of like going before. Just like the universe before. itself. Why are we so afraid of doubt? You know, it's because we haven't learned to love mystery. And when you think that God can be put in a box, when you think that the value of your life and your relationship to that is defining it, I think that that's the ultimate failure point. What the ultimate opportunity is for us as humans on this planet is to learn to love that, learn to embrace that mystery, learn right. to try and experience it in ways we've never imagined before and be surprised by it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you really start to act and believe like God is much bigger than anything we could ever imagine. Whatever you think God is. I mean, when I say God, I mean, you know, the energy that the thing that makes the universe work, that makes it run, that God created is a it. metaphor for the thing that language can't touch. Yeah, and, and and I like to talk about my relationship to the universe. 
however you want to define that. Um, but when you start thinking about, look, it's going to be much bigger than we can imagine. There's so much mis- There's more mystery than knowledge out there. The more you know, the more you don't know. I mean, these are all kind of shibboleths. But the idea is that that there's so much to learn and experience. And to try and codify it takes so much effort and time that a lot of it's not. It's like trying to codify a, you know, a mushroom trip. Right. right? That's, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, it's a waste of time. Right. I mean, don't worry about trying to explain it to everybody. Focus on getting the, you know, sucking the, the marrow from the bone, right? Right. <laughs> Drinking yeah. with two straws at once, as I like to say, but you know, <laughs> drinking life through two straws. But it's it's but it's that whole idea of especially if it's a can of excess. Yeah, but can't no, aspirational. Yeah, no, but it's it's it is that you know what, what I want to leave my kids or people that I work with is is hopefully a philosophy of embracing that mystery, enjoying the mystery, of course, knowing your boundaries and limitations, but but not being afraid of the unknown. I think it's interesting that we respond to something as complex and, again, malleable. I just flowing and adapting and changing and evolving and shifting as the earth is and the universe is. And we respond to that and interpret that with a flagpole. And we go like, <laughs> I'm this. Yeah, exactly. And you, and you want to show it that you heard what it said and your response is a two by four. Well, can, can you I mean, look at look, if we assume that. Let's just, for the sake of argument, assume Christ was God and he walked among us. You know, every time someone tries to pigeonhole him and say, well, give us the answer sheet, true or false, what does he do? He tells us a story. Right. He tells us a story usually that confuses us and it creates all this gray matter or gray area. You know, when, 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 when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and Elijah and Moses, you know, show up. And Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> and probably the dude. I'm guessing, you know. Um, I am a dudist Jedi. I mean, yeah. if people ask what, what denomination are you today, it's really kind of dudist Jedi these days. But the, you know, they're all, they, these guys show up, and what are the, the first thing the disciples do is they want to build booths around them. Right. Right? And, and you, you see Jesus in the story just go, just slap his head and go, you guys are colossally missing the point. Mm. Right? I mean, what's the first thing, what's the last thing he says when he's leaving? I don't even know when I'm coming back. You know, don't wait for it. Don't look. Just, just look busy, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look busy. Crisis coming. Yeah, but it's it's that you know. And what's the first thing that that we want to do when we start trying to put him in a box? Oh, I think he's going to come back on this day at this time because right. the Bible tells me so. Look, didn't you read it? Didn't you get the point? The point but, isn't the answer sheet. The point isn't true and false. The point isn't knowing when he's going to come back. But it's, everybody's reading their religion. See, uh, Joseph Campbell says you need to study other religions because you read them and you'll understand what they're all saying. You read them without the burden of, right. of truth. Well, you a, you it, read them going, Buddha is baloney. Great. Read Buddha. Right. Because you'll get it. All of a sudden you realize, actually, Buddha had a lot of really right. transrational things to say. Well, when I read, when I was reading the Bible and going like, this is real. That's why I went to Israel. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to touch the stone he, he stood on and, and was crucified on and all that sort of stuff. That was me trying to build the, the booth around. Yeah. Follow the gourd. To nope. quote Monty Python, Life of Ryan, follow the gourd, the shoe. But it's, you know, and I think you're right. It's, we want to cling to some physical materiality that, that is tied to evidence. And, you know, because we've, we've come to shape truth around evidence and something that's tangible and structured because science is such a big component of how we think. Right. You know, it's called logos. You know, it's that analytical truth. And if you look at the Bible as written as mythos, which it clearly is, Genesis is written as an epic poem. Most of the Bible is comparative, right? It's, it's not written as logos. It's largely written as mythos. It's trying to convey much larger truths than logos can contain. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you start to realize it's, it's okay if, if the, 
the facts of the mythological story aren't exactly as they're written on a piece of paper or as we've interpreted them. Right. Because that what that's if you think that's what's important, you're colossally missing the point. Right. The point is the truth behind the story. Right. It right. doesn't matter if Goliath. I remember they unearthed some old, older than what we. Okay, so we made the Bible based on documents that right. we found. If the, I mean, if it is factual, great, but it's kind of missing the point whether it is or it isn't. I think absolutely right. But so we, I forget what the Bible says. I think it says Goliath is something like thirteen feet tall or something. Yeah. I don't know. yeah. Then they find some parchment that's even older and said he was closer to seven feet tall. Okay, yeah. who gives a shit? Right. That story is about bravery. Yeah. And it's about guess what? There's always giants. There's always dragons. Right. There's always monsters. Right. There's always caves. There's always the woods. Because we don't know how to say, go inside, go where you're afraid, learn you had what you needed the whole time. Right. Come back and tell people about it. And that's what everybody's been doing. Right. Because that's the only way that we can even touch the idea of there being something more. And I think that's, you know, again, that's just foundational to, to how hopefully um, I continue to pursue life is, is looking at that you know, the bigness of the universe and, and all the things that I don't know and, and continuing to, you know, like the Star Trek, uh, you know, experience, just going where no one's gone before or yeah. at least where other people have gone and I can experience it for the first time. It's, uh, sometimes I freak myself out thinking that everybody finds out what happens when you die. <laughs> I think that's just, that's something that trips me out all the time. I go, I wonder what happens. I'm going to find out. That's yeah. fucking crazy to me. And guess what? Everyone found it's out. It's the final frontier. I mean, that's the thing for me is people are so afraid of death. And, and ultimately, we're all afraid of the, the pain of death, I think, because that part doesn't seem to be very fun. Right. But, the, uh, you know, but, but what happens after you're dead, whether it's just a dirt nap or whether there's some big mystery that becomes unveiled? I mean, it's just to me, that's one of the most fascinating questions on Earth. And and And... Married to the fact that most people are trying to ignore that that's the one thing we're all scared to death of, mm. right? I mean, embrace it and, and hopefully – Learn you know, to love the mystery? Learn to love it. Learn no, love I mean, yeah, I'm not yeah. teasing you. Yeah, that that gives me chills every time you say it. So you're – I don't even have to ask, but I'm going to ask is you're not a- afraid of that, of dying? I mean, not, not any more than – I mean, no. I, I, I'm not afraid of dying at all. I, I think – I'm afraid of the pain. I think right. the pain seems like to be awful. What if it was painless? Awful. What if it was? Yeah, no, I'd want to go tomorrow. It'd be like doing, you know, I, when I was a, I did some LSD and mushrooms in my time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and the reason that I wanted to do it wasn't because I was afraid of what I'd discover. I mean, there are things that are pretty scary on some of those trips, right? Um, one of them just being, you know, like, I remember one time a friend of mine and I had bought some some liquid LSD and we were, you know, sharing it with some other people. We wanted to test it first. And, and as we were... Um, as we were testing it, we had overdosed ourselves on these sugar cubes, and we ended up just getting wrapped up in an oriental carpet to the point where – Literally. I'm, yeah, like literally – I mean, we're sitting on the carpet just staring into it, and I started going down further and further into those all those little intricate kind of things in the carpet, you know, the, yeah. the, those patterns. And dragons started flying out at me as I was like kind of like, you know, sailing into this carpet – and uh, but that was always half the fun, right? Was the fear and this is why you are a spirit animal. And and but but not what which because what you have to learn is not to let the fear control you. You have to learn how to manage the fear and manage that that phenomena you're experiencing, so that even though those really might be dragons coming at you, you can't tell the difference at that point. Mm-hmm. It's not about fearing the dragon. It's about getting past the fear and learning how to how to navigate that thing that might kill you. Which is why I love surfing big waves. It's why I love... You well, know, just the ocean in general, I, I was thinking about Yeah, that. free diving, you yeah. know, going through caves, all the things that we do. I mean, 
you know, somebody just asked me the other day, a friend was visiting from Michigan, and he said, I said, we should go swimming, the water's warm, it's beautiful out, and he said, are there sharks? I said, there's sharks in every body of water, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, of every ocean body, yeah. and, and there are sharks here. We don't right. see them very often, not dangerous ones where I live, but they, a great white could swim by. They, they do exist, not right. far off our coast. Makos exist where we live. Um, and, and, and yeah, that can always be in the back of your mind and you can let that control your whole ocean experience or you can say, you know what? Your whole life experience. I, I can't control whether a great white's going to, going to eat me today, but I can control whether or not I enjoy this free dive or this swim or this surf. And you know, that's as much as I can control. And that's what I'm going to focus on and make sure it's the best experience I can have. Fucking A. (laughs) <laughs> I'll never forget walking into the ocean ones with our boards. Uh, you weren't there, which means you probably showed up like Gandalf 20 minutes in. I've never been on a... Hobbits! <laughs> you always show up. We'll just be like, is that David? Like, in your wetsuit, is blue, and we see... I know, it's usually because I ride a horse to the beach, though, too. That's the other <laughs> big pointy hat. Little we're pipe. Go- yeah. We're going in, and there's sand sharks everywhere. Mm. Probably like 30 of them. And that's off-putting. Leopard sharks, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, they are beautiful. Spotted. But look, I, I don't want to walk through 30 fish. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. just don't want to walk through anything. Never mind these big fucking sharks. <laughs> right. no, big, big meaning. Bigger than most fish that you see when yeah, you're surfing. Like yeah, maybe two feet long. Yeah. And, you know, they got scary teeth and stuff. They're not going to attack you. But all I'm thinking is they could assemble like Voltron if they all wanted to They could to go piranha me. on your ass. Exactly. If they wanted to. Cut to Rob just walking through and he's laughing. Yeah, they're bumping into him. And, and yeah. he, of course, they're bumping into both of us. Yeah. I felt... Dozens of sharks slipping by my calves. I felt it. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I was kind of like, if it were up to me, I would turn back. Right. This goes back to the sarcastic. This goes back to the fearful people that you can have in your life. And then I was like, there's something about Rob and David that he's walking through the sharks and he's laughing. And then he told that story later. And the part of the story that we leave out is that if I had been alone, I would have gone back. Of course I would have gone back. There's gimmicks that, you know, that, that I use too. Like when I surf in big waves and, you know, a huge waves about to come down on my head and just beat the crap out of me. The, um, I have this line from Led Zeppelin from Immigrant Song, Valhalla, I'm coming to you. Um, <laughs> I sing it to the wave and I start laughing and then I just let it beat the shit out of me. Because part of what you learn, I think we've talked about this in the water, is... The whole point is learning to relax and not get too tense and not trying to control Second something life. you can't control. Second life. Because you say when you're free diving, yeah. people always think you're out of air. But then if you relax, you realize you have like a you whole lung Plenty work. of air. Yeah. And, and so as if you can relax and you can embrace it and enjoy it right. and not let that panicky feeling inside of you control you, you'll find out there's much more inside you than you ever thought you had. Right. And that's for free diving, that's for surfing, that's for life, right? Yeah. When you when you don't think you can do your third show and you're wiped out and you, the audience is kind of tired and you decide, you know what, there's more air in here than I thought I had right. and you get up there and just own it. It's one of the most profound experiences, I think, because you realize that limitation, that boundary you had put on yourself wasn't real. There's a much bigger you that you all of a sudden experience and that becomes... Like this, this whole side of you you didn't even know you had that right. you can leverage the next time you get into a situation like that. That's Luke putting away the thing that guides him in the X-Wing and, <laughs> and shooting and using the Force. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, he f- realizes it, he had more air than he thought he did. Yeah, Fucking exactly. Me. Yeah. Let me look at the notes. Uh, I do, I do want to get on the record yeah. the time that we were surfing and I was just – it was at Sano and I was just getting my ass kicked. <laughs> Coming back in. Right. Like I just got, I kept getting caught in the waves, 
caught in the waves. And there's, I honestly think it's one of the worst feelings in the world. <laughs> right. When you feel like the ocean has it out for you, it right? Has it's, it, just, yeah. it's just pounding you and pounding you and pounding you. Because to surf, you have to get past the waves. Right. I'm just telling people that don't know this. You have to get past them. So past you the can, breaking waves. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to go through them. And for some reason, and under them, yeah, and under them, and over them, or whatever, however, however you, you can do it. do it, yeah. And it's not easy at the beginning of the day when you have lots of energy. It's fun to go out that first time. After you've been kicked thirty minutes, right? Got my ass kicked. I was like, "Fuck this!" <laughs> I brought my board in. I dropped it on the beach, and I was like, "I know I can swim past these. I just can't bring my fucking huge beginner's board out." <laughs> so I just swam out because I love the ocean and I love being with you guys. So I go out and I just swim. Yeah, and I loved it. And I was just kind of floating with you guys and talking and didn't give a shit. Then, like, 20 minutes later, I'm sorry, you just the story has to be told. I look out to the beach, and you're on your board, and your board is on top of my board, and you paddled both of them out. Yeah. That's just like a... It's like footprints in the sand. That's some footprints in the sand There's right there. It's that time where the difficult stage of your life where it's yeah. just one set of footprints. And you brought it out. That's when I was carrying your and board. You did. Yeah. Why was there one surfboard? Because it was underneath your surfboard. I just wanted to let you have that be, you know, because, Thank you know, you. Yeah. in 40 years where they're reconstructing a, a program to be you, I want them to know that that happened. <laughs> so, Thanks, Pete. computer programs. Let me ask you the final questions. This is so good. I was so happy to do it. Are you ready? Yes. They're on, they're on that board. Um, do you remember the hardest time you've ever laughed? The hardest time I've ever laughed? I think it was watching that movie, 43. What was that? Oh, it's, uh, it's you know, it just, so I, there's this movie 43. It's oh, wait, the, I think the, I've heard of it. The Farley Brothers did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know, I had no idea what it was. The one where they're like, you guys are black. Okay, two times. And and I wasn't expecting it to be funny. I thought it was a serious series of little v- vignettes. Because I knew it had like film. these famous actors and actresses yeah. in it. And I start watching it. And the first the first one is um, Wolverine, uh, what's his name? Um, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman with, with testicles. <laughs> stuff you know on his neck and i'm just like you know i had no idea this was coming and all of a sudden the the joke gets kind of unveiled and i just i i couldn't stop laughing and, and the you know in typical farley brothers fashion the jokes are really lowbrow and awful and epically hilarious and my wife and i my wife is pretty even keeled and also you know not always into the dirty boy humor yeah and we were just dying laughing on the couch. Our friend Kathleen Felsani comes over halfway through the movie. We watched the end of it with her, and I made her watch the beginning that she had missed again because it was so Ball unbelievably neck. hilarious. Yeah, oh, I was just, my God. I was laughing so hard, which reminds me of the, the other time I laughed really hard and got in trouble. I'm in chapel. Perfect. Holland Christian High School, and they say, hey, tomorrow we're going to have a special choir. And I'm thinking of Vienna Boys Choir, some neat choir that's really talented or something like that. So the next day I'm sitting there. Curtain comes, opens up. And it's uh, you know it's a lot of kids with Down syndrome who love dearly and have nothing against anyone with you know with those issues, but uh, I was expecting something totally different. Yeah. And so when they get up and then they start, so one is just I'm, in my mind I'm like, oh shit, special, right? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and then they start singing like Jesus loves me or something, and it's you know all over the place, and I just lost it. I started dying laughing, and then I feel awful because I'm laughing at kids with Down You've syndrome. You've got double church yeah. laugh. And then I'm sitting in my seat just snickering, dying, like can't hold it in, you know, and everyone around me, of course, starts laughing because they think I'm just laughing because they're retarded kids. Right. Excuse me for anyone whose kids have Down syndrome. But it's like, you know, that's the high school mentality. 
And then all of a sudden, everyone around me is just dying laughing and can't stop. And you know, of course, I get in tons of trouble. Uh, and it's so that was probably the hardest. I was see, laughing so hard because I was trying to hold in and couldn't stop right. laughing because I shouldn't. When you're have been watching laughing. 43 or whatever, that's fine. But when you're laughing at something taboo, yeah, if it's racist and you sexist, shouldn't and you shouldn't be laughing, Down syndrome is a great is, is a great area just for something that we all know. Don't right. don't laugh at church. Don't laugh at the old person that farted because they have some disease. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Right. You got it. Yeah, that that is. And then you, and then you can't stop. The, the more you try is. and do it, the more you can't. So that was probably Absolutely. the hardest I've, I've ever laughed, and it was so unintentional, and I felt so awful about it, but it was also kind of funny in the end. Of course. Oh my God, that's great. Well, man, we did it. Thanks for having me, Pete. I am so glad you did it. You have continued to carry the glorious torch of Friends of Rob Bell. Uh, the Forbes series. <laughs> the Forbes series. Rob did it first. Then we had Science Mike. We had Gentry Lee. Now we got you. And uh, we also had um, Inside Pete's Brain with Dr. Tim Royer. All these fast – I don't know what it is. But if I can say – Yeah. There's so – talking about your limits and your, and your area, when I started hanging out with you guys in Laguna – I don't live in Laguna. You know what I mean? You just drive down. Yeah. Uh, so what, I say that because it's not like you need to be – you got to you got to be doing pretty well to live in Laguna is what I'm saying. But like I'm just going in Laguna. Yeah, yeah. I'm just go. I'm, I'm like auditing the class. <laughs> right. I'm just trying to make it sound more accessible. Once you start realizing the people that you can have in your life, yeah. There's there's this sort of thing that you were talking about with Amway. People don't think they can do it. Right. But there is something about like no, you can. And the first step is going like I can surround myself right. with exceptional people. And then when you meet one. Then he introduces you to the other ones, and one of the reasons he was exceptional was because he had all these other exceptional people. You start realizing that you are kicking around you – co- you have to make a choice between kicking around with pigeons or greenlighting your own desire to be like, maybe I can find the most interesting person. Right. And maybe I can uh, find a way to get someone like that person or similar in my life. And then next thing you know, maybe maybe it'll start to rub off on me. Maybe I'll be surfing, something I never thought I would do. I mean, right? So I think place matters because place attracts a certain kind of person. And association matters more than anything. And, you know, when we moved from um, Washington State, I've always thought place matters a lot. So I've always tried to live in places that I could barely afford where I wanted to be around people who were much bigger than I was, right, in Mm. in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Moving to Laguna Beach from Washington State, we moved from Bellevue, Washington, Laguna. We couldn't afford what we had in, in Washington. We had to downsize dramatically, which a lot of people wouldn't have been willing to do, I guess. But to me, it was so important to be able to walk to the beach, to be close to the people who that was an important part of their life. Right. Who that valued, was their value. And, and in Laguna, which is very different than other coastal communities where neighborhoods still matter, you can't McMansion your lot. You know, you, you, the, the idea of community was fundamentally important to these people mm-hmm. um, and getting along and getting along with your neighbors. Um, those things are also important to me and to my family that I think place matters and the association that you have there and you create and you attract there matters. Right. And to your point, I think just inserting yourself in it when you have the opportunities is what makes life worth living. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the next Forbes you should bring in, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. I thought you were going to say Pete Rollins. Or Pete Rollins, another great one. Yeah, I, well, maybe together. Here's what's nuts. Well, you know what I'm thinking <laughs> is you and Rob together. We should do it. We should do a three-way. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I don't endorse that. Put it in a hose and spray it on your children. Is also <laughs> yes. God's grace is what I meant. Yes, oh, exactly. God, so weird. All good. No, there's there's endless people that you guys know. And I just, you know, it really did have like a Narnia feel for me. And I think you're right. And I, I just, I was struck with 
again, I had to confront in my own brain, and I'm pretty self. I'm a very self loving person. Mm. And I feel like I do deserve a good life and stuff. But the, I didn't even consider that maybe there were people like you having these conversations on surfboards or, or just swimming. Mm. What I'm saying is these aren't elite things. No, it's, it's just a, part of like our daily, normal daily life. Swimming yep. is a free activity. We go and we swim. None of the beaches are, are paying or anything. I guess no. you could argue that I do have to drive there and there's gas. I understand that. I'm just trying to say that <laughs> – Is that really a criticism someone's going to wage against you? I just – maybe. I'm just trying well, to say – Wait a minute. There was gas involved. <laughs> I know uh, that there are good things in life. And we need to believe that they're out there and good people and good conversations. It doesn't have to cost money. And it doesn't have to cost money. And you can follow it. And next thing you know, you wake up and, and things like good parenting and things like transrationality and things like grace and acceptance and malleability and, and philosophy and science and whatever it is start bleeding into your life. Right. And, and you're a better person for it. But that limitation thing and your boundaries and kicking out the edges of it, yeah. no matter how old you are or where, you're, where you are in life, is something that I've gotten from this relationship and from this podcast. And I hope people that hear this feel similarly inspired because there's lagunas everywhere. There are. Everywhere you look. Well, not everywhere. Well. <laughs> <laughs> that was just the thing. Eugene Merman, I was like, I love performing in the East Village and I'm afraid of touring. And he goes, there's East Villages everywhere. And he's right. Yeah, there's Iowa City is a very hip and relevant city. I was just in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Grand Rapids for Art Prize, sure. and it's one of the most uh, it's one of the most amazing art contests in the world. You'd never think you'd find it boom. in the Midwest, and there boom. it is, right in front boom. of you. Boom, that's Kaboom. right. Uh, well, thank you very much. I love you, man. Thanks, Pete. Please love you too. Say and Val. <laughs> say keep it crispy. Yes. Yeah. Well. Oh, that's how we end it. Keep it crispy. <laughs> I will. You are crispy. <laughs> You're crispy. <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com.